Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Charlie Higson, and you're listening to Failed Critics. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast, where we are joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And James Diamond. Hello. And I am Steve Norman, and we're going to have a look through the last week or so in film um, with uh, new release reviews, including Tom Cruise's new effort, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Um, which James was very excited about. We'll see if that excitement uh, waned or maintained when we get to the new release reviews after he saw the film. Uh, Also got what we've been watching and the news, but we're going to start off with a quiz where James has edged slightly ahead of me, 2-1. Owen, get on with it. (laughs) Okay. Um, Right. In 2005, they were in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Steve. Yeah. Seth Rogen. It's not Seth Rogen. James. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say Steve Carell. It's not Steve okay, Carell. Yeah. Okay. In 2006, they were in Grandma's Boy. Steve. Yeah. I've not seen this film. I'm just going for someone who's a 40-year-old virgin. Is it Paul Rudd? It's not Paul Rudd. Uh, I'm just trying to think who else is in 40-year-old Uh James. <laughs> Catherine Keener. It's not. Okay. No. Okay. 2007, they were in Click. Steve. Yeah. Jonah Hill. It's Jonah Hill. Oh, damn it. He oh, pulled no. it back. He was, <laughs> he was in the 40-year-old version for about two scenes, wasn't he? I, I couldn't remember. It's ages since I've seen 40-year-old version. I like 40-year-old version, actually. It's, yeah. But it is one of those first films where Judd Apatow decided to make a two-hour-plus comedy. So I do blame it for a lot of... <laughs> current uh, and maybe we'll talk about that later during our review of a million ways to die in the west who knows possibly might come up again later hmm. yeah but i was i leave i was gonna get towards things like django and wolf of wall street and see who got it at that point oh i see yeah no that's quite nice yeah but never mind but yeah maybe steve, next time. steve has held on um that those who follow any of us on twitter might have seen that i if i won this week i threatened to make everyone watch diana um, and clearly that has motivated Steve to up his game. It, I'm wearing it's... a Set Blatter name tag today. <laughs> there, there is a Set Blatter uh, a FIFA film coming out, isn't there, with Tim Roth? Yes, it looks absolutely fucking horrendous. It, Tim Roth it, keeps it, doing bad films, I want him all, to stop. It, it almost looks like it's meant to be kind of a, a kind of parody or comedy involving yeah. FIFA, Rather than an actual serious film, 
Yeah, you kind of get this. Actually, maybe that's the best way to tackle FIFA. A bit like how um, Doctor Strange Love was probably the best way to tackle the spectre <laughs> of um, nuclear war. Uh, and also, I'm just trying to think. You know, in the loop. Uh, you know, think maybe actually a really, if it was a really well written sharp comedy about how terribly corrupt FIFA is, maybe that would be the best thing. Because no one actually watches kind of serious films. Um, yeah, but who? Uh, dead, do you know what FIFA is so ripe for a, a brilliant film? I just don't think it's going to be that one. No. Yeah. It's so it, yeah, it's so Some... deeply corrupt and and intriguing and interesting that allegedly it's like Game of Thrones, <laughs> but with football. Oh, oh, and it's not even allegedly, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's be honest. No, let's. I think they got bigger fish to fry than us. For a they are a bunch of corrupt bastards. I'm quite happy to go on the record and say that. I think that's been. I'm not saying that Set Blatter himself is a corrupt bastard. I'm just saying that FIFA is a den of thieves and vipers and nasty people. There you go. And I think that's can... proven. It's the way they can go into a country for a tournament and just make the country change with their laws for a month. Yeah, yeah, it, they, they are they are the uh, the Lannisters of of the football world, and uh, I, I hate them. But anyway, um, that's kind of leading into our football spe- our World Cup special in a couple of weeks, isn't it, Steve? You better keep some of this dry. It is. <laughs> yes, yes, World Cup special coming soon. Um, football film special coming soon. Um, but anyway, on to some news now, um, and there's a fair bit of news. This week, um, some involving Star Wars. Lupita Nyong'o has um, announced herself on um, her Twitter account that she's going to be be part of the upcoming um, Star Wars Episode Seven. Saying on her Twitter account, I can finally say it loud and proud: I'm going to a galaxy far, far away. So yeah, no, I'm assuming that she's not going to be on Richard Branson's first kind of pilot space flight, and <laughs> no. she's going to be in Star Wars. So excellent. Yes. Um, which is, which is kind of adding to an already interesting. I'd say it's an interesting cast. It's not exactly kind of a uh, until obviously Oscar-winning Diongo was announced. It wasn't kind of a, a star-studded cast, with the exception of possibly Harrison Ford from from the old films. Um, um, that, yeah, I I missed the podcast where we kind of talked about this. Um, but so I think that were you talking about. Yeah, no. But Good. I think you did read out a little bit of what I emailed in. You know, desperately. Yeah. I'm, the, the cast is one of the things I'm most excited about with the new Star Wars. There's a lot of really, really good young talent there. Mm. Um, Adam Driver, they, for they example, have... John Boyega, uh, who's who's doing really well in the current series of Twenty Four, as well as having been in uh, Attack the Block, um, as well as uh, I've forgotten his name. That guy who played Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Um, Max von Sydow. Yeah, uh, so not young, not all young cast, but I'm I'm really excited about the cast actually. But you pointed out something else on earlier by email, Steve, about oh, another reason to get excited. Uh, well, it was on. I think it was TMZ. They they somehow managed to get their hands on a load of promotional, not promotional pictures, but kind of released pictures, and it and it looks like everything's well, not everything. I think they've already said they're going to use a mixture of old techniques and new techniques to to film it. But they're creating models and you know for for a lot of the sets uh, and doing costumes for a lot of aliens and and creatures and whatever rather than just going to CGI it all afterwards and it looks really impressive. Um, I think it looks by looks of it's based on Tatooine this part of the film, but you know it just looks like they're creating everything from scratch using actual models rather than putting it all in in post production. And there was. Um, 
a big kind of uh, a shot of a partially built model probably by looks of it to scale almost of the Millennium Falcon no. which had to get people excited except Owen because he's a fucking misery I'm not very excited at all yeah about any of this stuff how can you not be excited about them building a Millennium Falcon wow Harpstone Harpstone <laughs> didn't someone make an actual house that was the inside was the same as the Millennium Falcon I can't remember where it was I'm sure I've seen it online they actually built like um the internal part of the head, you know, like on grand yeah. designs and stuff. Um, someone else did a f- like the floor of the Starship Enterprise. I would probably prefer to live in that one than the Millennium Falcon because just don't care for Star Wars. I keep saying it every time we talk about it. I'm yeah. just not, not that excited about any of this news. Don't really care who's in it and who's coming back. It's just. Ah, oh, I'm, 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 t- I'm, I'm tempted to ban you from, from December. 2015 when it's released, but then I, <laughs> then I hope that maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised by it and have nothing to good have nothing but good things to say about it. So I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Um, yeah. Other news then, James. Um, yeah, uh, this I'm sure uh, gets Owen a lot more excited. This bit of news, <laughs> it's got me really excited. Anyone who likes action films actually should be excited about this. Finally, after after decades of being kept apart. I don't know if they were actually physically kept apart, but um, John McTiernan and Nicolas Cage are teaming up to make a film, and that should make everyone happy. Because not, it's quite interesting how this has come about. Because uh, I don't know how many of our listeners have kind of kept in touch with the ongoing saga of John McTiernan's uh, criminal conviction and prison time. He did nearly a year in prison. Um, I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. You can go online and read much better summaries of it. But apparently, it seems he got he got a year's prison for lying to a federal officer about whether or not he knew a private investigator, but the federal officer didn't identify themselves as a federal officer. So apparently, you can commit perjury. You can lie to a federal officer without knowing they're a federal officer, which seems a little bit harsh. Seems a little bit Kafkaesque, actually. But um, mm. uh, a number of Hollywood stars were involved in the campaign to get him released from prison. But obviously, he's come out of prison pretty much. He's filing for bankruptcy, and he's putting all of his hopes on a film called Red Squad, which was, which is about a DEA investigation into a Mexican drug cartel. It's just pure. Though, yeah, obviously, John McTiernan directed Die Hard and Predator, so the man gets a free pass for life, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, Nick Cage. I didn't know this about Nick Cage. Nick Cage has just. A, pretty much narrowly by the skin of his teeth escaped prison for uh, tax issues and that is the reason he is currently the most hard-working man in Hollywood at the moment he's got about 10 films on the go um, so him and John McTiernan teaming up together uh, for a film called Red Squad and if that doesn't get anyone excited uh, you, again I, I don't know what's wrong with you yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Although I think pinning all your hopes on a Nick Cage film is um, perhaps not the safest bet he'll ever make. No, no. Although, do you know what? Maybe maybe, it's, <laughs> maybe Nick Cage is the only person who can work with him at the moment. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. McTeer yeah. uh, uh, also made um, uh, Last Action Hero and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance as well. He's 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 got the pedigree in terms of action films, so it, sh- it should be a good action film. Uh, it might not be the best thing ever made because he also made Basic, which was pretty dire. Um, but yeah, just the idea of him directing Nick Cage. I really want Nick Cage to come back to us 
because he's still <laughs> putting in great performances, but in some really shabby films. And he just seems to be in a new film every Whenever I pop into HMV, there's another film on the shelf that I've never heard of starring Nick Cage. And I, I just worry about him. Yeah. I'm sure he'll be okay. I'm sure. I mean, I'm Nick sure Cage he, he'll just get work. I'm sure he sleeps well on a pile of money at home. Oh, no, no. He's actually using all to pay for the tax bill, isn't he? Um, yeah. But... Yeah, I'm sure it's still not the hardest life in the world, but I, I just respect the fact that he's just so hard working these days. Mm. Okay, and one more piece of news out of out of Marvel after uh, more on the Ant Man mm. Ant Man situation. Yeah, this seems a bit like um, Marvel don't have kind of lost control a little bit here because uh, Adam McKay, the director of Anchorman. Um, and Anchorman 2, and clearly by approaching Adam McKay, that shows the the direction Marvel want to go with Ant-Man. It's clearly going to be quite a light-hearted romp. Um, yeah, he's turned it down because he ha- he's, hasn't got time, he's got other projects, which does kind of, the film's meant to go into production in a week or two, it's out next summer, and they've, they're, they're, their second choice director has now turned them down. I can't help thinking they must be thinking, oh God, can't we just go back and see what the hell we did wrong to Edgar Wright? Yeah, shot themselves in the foot a little bit, haven't they? Yeah. They're kind of forcing his exit. Yeah. Um, Who knows who's going to take take it over? It, it wouldn't surprise me, and I, it, but despite knowing how kind of in control of release schedules and how meticulously planned Marvel's releases are. Hello, I'm Charlie Higson, and you're listening to Failed Critics. Welcome to this week's Fail Critics Podcast, where we are joined this week by Owen Hughes. Hello. And James Diamond. Hello. And I am Steve Norman, and we're going to have a look through the last week or so in film um, with uh, new release reviews, including Tom Cruise's new effort, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. Um, which James was very excited about. We'll see if that excitement uh, waned or maintained when we get to the new release reviews after he saw the film. Uh, also got what we've been watching and the news. But we're going to start off with a quiz where James has edged slightly ahead of me, 2-1. Um, Owen, get on with it. <laughs> okay. Um, right. In 2005, they were in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Okay. Steve. Yeah. Seth Rogen. It's not Seth Rogen. James. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to say Steve Carell. It's not Steve okay, Carell. Yeah. Okay. In 2006, they were in Grandma's Boy. Steve. Yeah. I've not seen this film. I'm just going for someone who's a 40-year-old virgin. Is it Paul Rudd? It's not Paul Rudd. Uh, I'm just trying to think who else is in 40-year-old Uh James. <laughs> Catherine Keener. It's not. Okay. No. Okay. 2007, they were in Click. Steve. Yeah. Jonah Hill. It's Jonah Hill. Oh, damn it. Oh, he pulled it back. <laughs> he, was, he was in the 40-year-old 
version for about two scenes, wasn't he? I, I couldn't remember. I, it's ages since I've seen 40-Year-Old Virgin. I like 40-Year-Old Virgin, actually. It's, yeah. But it is one of those first films where Judd Apatow decided to make a two-hour-plus comedy. So I do blame it for a lot of current... Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that later during our review of A Million Ways to Die in the West. Who knows? Possibly might come up again later. Hmm. Yeah. But I was I leave, I was going to get towards things like Django and Wolf of Wall Street and see who got it at that point. Oh, I see. Yeah, no, that's quite nice. Yeah, but never mind. But yeah, Maybe Steve, next time. Steve has held on. Um, those who follow any of us on Twitter might have seen that I, if I won this week, I threatened to make everyone watch Diana. Um, and clearly that has motivated Steve to up his game. It, <laughs> I'm wearing it's... a Set Blatter name tag today. <laughs> there, there is a Set Blatter, uh, a FIFA film coming out, isn't there, with Tim Roth? Yes, it looks absolutely fucking horrendous. He, Tim Roth it, keeps it, doing bad films. I want it him al- to stop. It, it almost looks like it's meant to be kind of a, a kind of parody or comedy involving mm. FIFA rather than an actual serious film. Yeah, you kind of get this. Actually, maybe that's the best way to tackle FIFA. A bit like how um, Doctor Strangelove was probably the best way to tackle the spectre <laughs> of um, nuclear war. Uh, and also, I'm just trying to think, you know, in the loop. Uh, you know, think may, maybe actually a really, if it was a really well-written, sharp comedy about how terribly corrupt FIFA is, maybe that would be the best thing. Because no one actually watches kind of serious films. Um yeah, but who? Uh, dead, do you know what FIFA is so ripe for a, a brilliant film? I just don't think it's going to be that one. No, it's yeah. so it, yeah, it's so Some... deeply corrupt and and intriguing and interesting that allegedly it's like Game of Thrones, <laughs> but with football. Oh, oh, and it's not even allegedly, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's be honest. No, let's. I think they got bigger fish to fry than us. For a they are a bunch of corrupt bastards. I'm quite happy to go on the record and say that. I think that's been. I'm not saying that Seth Blatter himself is a corrupt bastard. I'm just saying that FIFA is a den of thieves and vipers and nasty people. There you go. And I Why think that's can... proven. It's the way they can go into a country for a tournament and just make the country change with their laws for a month. Yeah, yeah, it, they, they are they are the uh, the Lannisters of of the football world, and uh, I, I hate them. But anyway, um, that's kind of leading into our football spe- our World Cup special in a couple of weeks, isn't it, Steve? Better keep some of this dry. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. World Cup special coming soon. Um, football film special coming soon. Um, but anyway, on to some news now, um, and there's a fair bit of news. This week, um, some involving Star Wars. Lupita Nyong'o has um, announced herself on um, her Twitter account that she's going to be be part of the upcoming um, Star Wars Episode Seven. Saying on her Twitter account, I can finally say it loud and proud: I'm going to a galaxy far, far away. So yeah, no, I'm assuming that she's not going to be on Richard Branson's first kind of pilot space flight, and <laughs> no. she's going to be in Star Wars. So excellent. Yes. Um, which is, which is kind of adding to an already interesting, I'd say it's an interesting cast. It's not exactly kind of a, uh, until obviously Oscar winning Diongo was announced, it wasn't kind of a, a star studded cast with the exception of possibly Harrison Ford from, from the old films. Um, um that, yeah, I, I missed the podcast where we kind of talked about this, um, but so I think that were you talking about. Yeah, I know. But Good. I think you did read out a little bit of what I emailed in. You know, desperately. Yeah. I'm, 
the cast is one of the things I'm most excited about with the new Star Wars. There's a lot of really, really good young talent there. Mm. Um, Adam Driver, they have, for they example, have... John Boyega, uh, who's, who's doing really well in the current series of 24, as well as having been in uh, Attack the Block. Um, as well as, uh, I've forgotten his name now, a guy who played Ming the Merciless. <laughs> Um, Max von Sydow. Yeah, uh, so not young, not all young cast, but I'm I'm really excited about the cast actually. But you pointed out something else on earlier by email, Steve, about oh, another reason to get excited. Uh, well, it was on. I think it was TMZ. They they somehow managed to get their hands on a load of promotional, not promotional pictures, but kind of released pictures, and it and it looks like everything's or well, not everything. I think they've already said they're going to use a mixture of old techniques and new techniques to to film it. But they're creating models and you know for for a lot of the sets uh, and doing costumes for a lot of aliens and and creatures and whatever rather than just going to CGI it all afterwards and it looks really impressive. Um, I think it looks by looks of it's based on Tatooine this part of the film, but you know it just looks like they're creating everything from scratch using actual models rather than putting it all in in post production. And there was. Um, a big kind of uh, a shot of a partially built model, probably by looks of it to scale almost, of the Millennium Falcon, oh. which had to get people excited, except Owen, because he's a fucking misery. I'm not very excited at all. Yeah. About any of this stuff. How can you not be excited about them building a Millennium Falcon? Wow. Heart of stone. Heart of stone. <laughs> Didn't someone make an actual house that was the inside was the same as the Millennium Falcon? I can't remember where it was. I'm sure I've seen it online. They actually built like um, the internal part of the head, you know, like on grand yeah. designs and stuff. Um, someone else did a f- like the floor of the Starship Enterprise. I would probably prefer to live in that one than the Millennium Falcon because I just don't care for Star Wars. I keep saying it every time we talk about it. I'm yeah. just not, not that excited about any of this news. I don't really care who's in it and who's coming back. It's just. Oh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to I'm say. T- I'm, I'm tempted to ban you from for December 2015 when it's released, but then I, <laughs> then I hope that maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised by it and have nothing to good have nothing but good things to say about it. So I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Um, yeah. Other news then, James. Um, yeah, uh, this I'm sure uh, gets Owen a lot more excited. This bit of news, <laughs> it's got me really excited. Anyone who likes action films actually should be excited about this. Finally, after after decades of being kept apart. I don't know if they were actually physically kept apart, but um, John McTiernan and Nicolas Cage are teaming up to make a film, and that should make everyone happy. It's quite interesting how this has come about, because uh, I don't know how many of our listeners have kind of kept in touch with the ongoing saga of John McTiernan's uh, criminal conviction and prison time. He did nearly a year in prison. I'm not a I'm not a lawyer. You can go online and read much better summaries of it, but apparently it seems he got he got a year's prison for lying to a federal officer about whether or not he knew a private investigator, but the federal officer didn't identify themselves as a federal officer. So apparently you can commit purge you can lie to a federal officer without knowing they're a federal officer, which seems a little bit harsh. Seems a little bit Kafkaesque actually. But um mm. uh, a number of Hollywood stars were involved in the campaign to get him released from prison. But obviously he's come out of prison pretty much he's filing for bankruptcy and he's putting all of his hopes on a film called Red Squad, which was which is about a DEA investigation into a Mexican drug cartel. It's just 
pure. Though, yeah, obviously John McTiernan directed Die Hard and Predator, so the man gets a free pass for life, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, Nick Cage. I didn't know this about Nick Cage. Nick Cage has just as pretty much narrowly by the skin of his teeth escaped prison for uh, tax issues. And that is the reason he is currently the most hard-working man in Hollywood at the moment. He's got about ten films on the go. Um, so him and John McTiernan teaming up together uh, for a film called Red Squad. And if that doesn't get anyone excited, uh, you, again, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Although I think pinning all your hopes on a Nick Cage film is um, perhaps not the safest bet he'll ever make. No, no. Although, do you know what? Maybe maybe, it's, maybe Nick Cage is the only person who can work with him at the moment. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. McTeen had also made um, uh, Last Action Hero and uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance as well. He's 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 got the pedigree in terms of action films, so it, sh- it should be a good action film. Uh, it might not be the best thing ever made because he also made Basic, which was pretty dire. Um, but yeah, just the idea of him directing Nick Cage. I really want Nick Cage to come back to us because he's still <laughs> putting in great performances, but in some really shabby films. And he just seems to be in a new film every Whenever I pop into HMV, there's another film on the shelf that I've never heard of starring Nick Cage. And I, I just worry about him. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be okay. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll just get work. I'm sure he sleeps well on a pile of money at home. Oh no, no, he's actually using all to pay for the tax bill, isn't he? Um, But yeah, I'm sure it's still not the hardest life in the world. But I I just respect the fact that he's just so hardworking these days. Hmm. Okay, and one more piece of news out of out of Marvel. After uh, more on the Ant Man, Mm. Ant Man situation. Yeah, this seems a bit like um, Marvel don't have kind of lost control a little bit here because uh, Adam McKay, the director of Anchorman um, and Anchorman Two, and clearly by approaching Adam McKay, that shows the the direction Marvel want to go with Ant Man. It's clearly going to be quite a light-hearted romp. Um, yeah, he's turned it down because he ha- he's hasn't got time. He's got other projects. Which does kind of, the film's meant to go into production in a week or two. It's out next summer, and they've their their, their second choice director has now turned them down. I can't help thinking they must be thinking, oh God, can't we just go back and see what the hell we did wrong to Edgar Wright? Yeah, shot themselves in the foot a little bit, haven't they? Yeah, They're kind of forcing his exit. Yeah, um, who knows who's going to take take it over? It, it wouldn't surprise me, and I, but. Despite knowing how kind of in control of release schedules and how meticulously planned Marvel's releases are, it really wouldn't surprise me to see the Ant Man production slip now. And also, you got to be wondering what um, what Paul Rudd and Michael Douglas and the various other people connected with the film are now thinking, considering the film is turning out to be quite a different one to what they signed up for. Hmm, that's true. Although I guess part of Part of it is they don't really sign up depending on the director all the time, do they? I mean, if you're offered no. a Marvel, you know, massive Marvel Cinematic Universe role, you probably ain't going to walk away from it just because Edgar Wright, a director you've never I, worked with. Yeah, and I don't know if I'm, project. I don't know if I'm pigeonholing people. I imagine that is the case with Michael Douglas, but I, I you know, Paul Rudd does mix in very, very similar cinematic circles with um, Simon Pegg, and you know. That that kind of comedic group, that transatlantic comedic group, have 
mixing so and it wouldn't surprise me I'm, I'm claiming no prior knowledge but it wouldn't surprise me if part of the appeal for Paul Rudd was that Edgar Wright was on board yeah I mean I'm not saying it didn't yeah. have, you know probably didn't influence him just, I just don't think it's enough perhaps to make you walk away from that much money you're cynic. That you're probably going to get because you right, yeah Edgar Wright walked away <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Who knows? I still don't really know what's happening with um, Joe Cornish. I'm kind of hoping that eventually it'll come to him and he'll get a chance to direct it. I hope so. I'd, I'd like to see. I'd, I'd like to see another film from him. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's all for the news. And after break, we'll have what we've been watching. Okay, time for what we've been watching now. We take a look back at the films we have seen uh, over the last seven days that aren't necessarily new releases. Uh, James, why don't you start us off? Okay, yeah, um, and this is where there's a bit of a lie here. I didn't see this film in the last seven days. It was a film I wanted to review a couple of times on the podcast, but um, I was off. Uh, um, So I'm going to talk about my visit to see Under the Skin from about... A month ago, possibly six weeks ago. The, I was really excited about Under the Skin. It's the new film from Jonathan Glazer, um, starring Scarlett Johansson, uh, as basically it's a bit like, uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, but set in Glasgow. Um, Scarlett Johansson plays a mysterious kind of seductress female alien from another planet, and we don't really know what her what her intentions are, and she drives around Glasgow in a white transit van, <laughs> enticing young men into the van back to their house where they disappear into some black goop and are gone forever. It's it's a very, very odd film. and I knew it would be an odd film going in, but I don't think I was quite prepared for how utterly bizarre it is. It's a very, very strange film. The tone is is uneven, uh, I think purposefully as well. It mixes from very kind of esoteric um, imagery. Uh, like I said, the, the kind of seductress black goop scenes are just utterly surreal and bizarre, but quite quietly beautiful at the same time. But that's mixed in with uh, kind of almost you've been framed, not you've been framed, Beatles about, there we go, show my age, Beatles about-esque kind of hidden camera work. Uh, and it's, it's really interesting, the fact that Jonathan Glazer basically followed Scarlett Johansson around Glasgow. She's got a, a wig on, she looks a little bit different, but he followed her and secretly recorded her talking to random Scottish men. Um, so a lot of the people in this film don't realise they're in a film, obviously, until afterwards they must have signed releases and things like that. And she's going around asking for directions and that that gives an odd kind of vibe to the film. It's interesting and it's different to pretty much anything I've seen in terms of uh, you know, as main I say mainstream cinema, but you know, this isn't very mainstream. So it's actually based on a, a novel by Michael Faber. And from what I gather, it sticks reasonably close uh to the novel. Now all I would say is it's and and I'm gonna sound like Steve here actually. Bits of it just seemed weird for being weird's sake. And I know that I defended um uh Holy Motors, but I I kind of felt like I knew what I was getting into with Holy Motors, but this takes you by uh, takes you by surprise in the fact that it's weird. Uh, I I did expect more of a joined up narrative. Uh, I expected something a little bit more coherent. There's not a huge amount of character development apart from the main character. You don't really meet anyone else long enough to get any attachment to them or see any reason 
why you would care about them. There's a few really, really disturbing and quite upsetting scenes, and not because they're violent or anything like that, but just because... And, and you know, I suppose this is the skill of the director and uh, of the production, but just a couple of scenes that just made me... I wanted to leave the cinema. Um, and I went with my... Fr- there was a, a scene of a baby that was just left on a beach crying. <laughs> it was just absolutely horrible. Really, really horrible scene. Um... And I, you know, I said, I said I wanted to kind of walk out. Actually, my friend Nathan, who I went to see the film with, went for a drink and I said, oh, I'm going to see Under the Skin. Oh, I might come with you. Came down. About an hour in, he just turned to me, whispered in my ear, um, nothing sexual, uh, and said, <laughs> hey, <I'll hide> yeah, <laughs> and just said, I've had enough. And he walked out. <laughs> and I was like, all right, bye. And I don't, I kind of can't blame He, he, I spoke to him on Twitter afterwards. He said, I, I Life's too short. I, I, I couldn't spend another 40 minutes watching that. I hated it. Um, and I didn't, I, I was interested in the film. I didn't like the film, but it wasn't enough to make me walk out. And as I was thinking about the film, I thought, cause Jonathan Glazer has made his name as the director of Radiohead videos. And this essentially felt like a one hour, 40 minute Radiohead video. You know, there's the, the great Radiohead videos had a lovely concept that stretched brilliantly over four or five minutes. The just video of the man laying down on the floor and everyone asking him, Oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, I can't tell you. And then spoiler alert ends with them all laying on the floor. Um, Karma police, I think it was with the man being followed by the car. And, uh, you know, th- these are great great videos that work really well in the format of a five minute pop video the same kind of the same techniques and the same uh mo being stretched over a one hour 40 minute feature film really really didn't do it for me but i just you know i thought about i didn't walk out of this and there's worse films i haven't walked out of i think the one i've come closest to was when i went to see the the british rugby film up and under um because went with a group of friends and Titanic was sold out um, and so we went to see Up and Under instead and really close to walking out of that, really close to walking out of Silent Hill but I was with friends and again I felt, I, I feel compelled to stay in a cinema and watch a film no matter how bad it is uh, and I don't know about you guys Generally uh, generally, I'm too tight to walk out of something that I've paid for <laughs> I, I, I get that, I get that totally and you know but I did I did walk out of the in-betweeners movie with about 10 minutes left but that was because we were playing football that well that afternoon and my friend sat next to me in the cinema and said if we don't go now we're going to be late for kickoff. I think he panicked a bit but we did <laughs> we were cutting it fine in the end but I think we could have still watched the end but we pretty much had it it was pretty much resolved anyway in the film so yeah, yeah. but you don't yeah miss anything I've, from the ending I've, really do yeah the I've, I've not I've not walked out of a film because I thought it was crap, even if I have been watching a crap film, I've not walked out for that reason. I just stuck it out. I think that, yeah, that, that I, I feel like that as well. I feel like I have to, and it's weird because if I'm at home, I'll turn off a film that I, I'm really not enjoying. I've done that plenty of times, and I think it is something different about having. I think you're right, Steve. I think we're tight. We've paid the money. We're going <laughs> we're going to sit here and enjoy this terrible film. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all, all the fact that it's all the, all the fact that once. A, once I leave, I've got to go back to reality. That's true as well. Yeah, <laughs> I'd I'd rather I'd rather sit watching, you know, another hour of someone else's crap story than going back to mine. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, no, that's fine. I've not walked out on the film, even though I've got the unlimited card. So I don't know. 
if it's God, yeah, top maybe top it's the but, you know. maybe it's the effort that you've made to get there in the first place. I don't know. Although the most effort I made to watch a film, I walked out on. Which one was that? Which was um, I went to see um, an open air screening of uh, The Exorcist. Oh actually. God, yeah, I remember. Yeah, and it was at Caversham in um, near Reading. And uh, it, it was a real struggle for me to get there. It was like just after work and I had to rush out of the house and try and arrange to get there on time. And in the end, we got there just about um, with enough time to spare to get seats and everything. And then because it's an open air screen, you have headphones. Um, you have to put these big, massive headphones on and find an uncomfortable chair at the back. And it was absolutely freezing. We hadn't eaten anything. The people around us were absolute bellends, just talking and joking and laughing as if it, they were just sat in their own like living room. I thought, well, you know, it's kind of just an outdoor picnic type thing, but mm. people are still trying to watch the film. And also we had problems with the headphones where it was cutting in with like a local radio. So every so oh, often God. the film would cut out and you'd just get this interview with ZZ Top. Think, mm, <laughs> that this isn't really... How long ago was this? <laughs> It was, it was 2012. Yeah, believe it or not. Who's interviewing ZZ Top on local radio in 2012? Uh, that, that, well, that's that's all they can get on these days. They can't BBC get on national Marcher, radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, you know, they sometimes get like like some Ollie Murs interview that's been cut round every local radio station on the same owned by the same people. Not ZZ mm. Top. Not ZZ Top. No, not at like 11 o'clock at night as well. Yeah. Wow. But the um, <laughs> so the, uh, uh, the the film was brilliant. Exorcist, of course, is brilliant. But I did walk out of it because of the people around us, and it was cold, and I was miserable. Um, and I I absolutely hate people talking through films, so I couldn't stand it. We just had to no, get up and leave. I, no, I get that. I keep seeing adverts for these kind of social cinema events, like at pubs and bars, where people mm. sit and drink and talk through film, and that just sounds like hell to me um i asked on twitter and a few uh people did get back to us so uh uh at s Furnival said that what um uh, my kingdom starring richard harris uh but it was because his flatmate had a panic attack so uh he went back to see it the next day that ah, seems fair enough to me um uh, tylier 002 jackson tyler uh oh you old joker yes credits started rolling and everyone else was standing up so i thought i'd better go I just said, have you ever walked out of a cinema? Uh, yes, very literal. <laughs> Thank you, Jackson. Um, uh, at Churlish Meg said, Babe, uh, at the Macclesfield Majestic in 1995. Oscar Whoa. nominated Babe. I, I'm, I'm, I still can't get my head around that being Oscar nominated. I'm, I'm stunned by that. Um, my, my wife, at Kate Diamond, uh, she, we're having an argument at the moment about time. She hated about time. Uh, I, I played. I bought her about time because I really enjoyed it and then she hated it. And so she just replied, that Richard Curtis thing. She didn't walk out of the cinema, but she would have uh, if she'd seen it in the cinema. She did go and see Lord, the first Lord of the Rings film with me, despite the fact she had no interest in it and said that after the first 30 minutes, she just made up her own film. She, just, she sat for two and a half hours, not is taking it, a single thing in from the screen. So she basically did, do you remember the Simpsons episode where they get taken in by the cult and they're shown the video and Hober ends up at the end so what do you take from that film home? So internal affairs were setting him up the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still quite impressed. Uh, at Elmore LTM, uh, he said, Austin Powers, utter horseshit, couldn't tolerate another second. Wow. Um, hmm. uh, our good friend at Shorky1969, never, ever, <laughs> um, which doesn't surprise me at all about Shorky. And, uh, yeah. oh, oh. Our good regular Matt Labborn said, interesting, he nearly had to leave 12 Years a Slave, not because it was bad, because he found it too grim. 
Uh, just about stuck with it though. Uh, I think he made the right decision there. So uh, quite interesting. I, I, I've always I've always found cinema walkouts uh, interesting. I, I do kind of seek out films that I know people have walked out of because I, I want to test myself almost. Hmm. I was, I was the quite who surprised. Walk out and then demand their money back. Are, yeah, they're the weird ones. Yeah, you, can, you you can't demand your money back. That's 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 a f- step far. If but, if you walk out, yeah. you know what? Say goodbye to that eight quid. Or do whatever. you think? Do you think you know the guy who t- the, the first tweet you read out who left because his friend had a panic yeah. attack? Do you think if he'd explained to the people at the at the cinema, I've had to leave early because my friend's had a panic attack. I want to come back and see the rest of the film. He'd come back the next day. They would have let him in from the point where he walks out. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, they you can't just... go back and watch the whole thing again, but you can go back and watch what you didn't see. Um, that seems the least likely. What I, I, I think <laughs> a chain chain place would probably go, yeah, get get fucked. Uh, but I think a nice little independent cinema would just go. Do you know what? Come back and see the whole thing from the start tomorrow. That's what I, I like wouldn't let them see the whole thing. Just if you've walked out after fifty three minutes, you can go back in after three fifty three <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you're just ha- someone on the door. You're harsh, Steve. You, yeah, yeah, no, or else technically you've paid to see one film. So technically, if you go and see the whole thing again, it's theft. <laughs> Unless they let you in. It's theft if you sneak in to watch just the last fifty-three minutes of a film. Well, I think this up, this, is, this debate could rage on it and on for up, five yeah, minutes till I is... find out that I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll move on from there. Uh, go on to the film that I watched in the last uh, week, which was um, the, which was the Dam Busters from 1955, uh, one of probably the most iconic British Second World War films. I'm telling quite a bit because it's 70 years since uh, 70th anniversary of D-Day. Although Dam Busters was took the the event that it, that it surrounds Operation uh, Chastise was was two years before. Uh, D-Day, or you know, sometime before D-Day, D-Day anyway. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of war films on, Second World War films on in the next sort of month or so because of 70 years on from D-Day. Um, but anyway, it tells the story of um, the attempt of the British to bomb some dams uh, in Germany which will destroy or hamper the Germans' wartime production industry. Everyone in this film talks with a middle-class British accent that you hear in every British war film. It's basically it, what um, the Armstrong and Miller kind of quite popular mm. characters are based on, isn't it? That, that's the most yes. popular touchstone, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, every character has that same accent. Um, but it is just one of these kind of... It's a good film. It's an, it's one of these enjoyable films um, kind of that go through World War Two where... You never really see that. It's kind of one of those ones where you never see too much death and destruction. You know it happens, but it's not too graphic. And it all goes along at a very jolly pace. You know, we're, we're the Brits, we're going to bosh the Hun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it goes along at that kind of pace. But it, it, but what is also quite good about it, it's historically accurate, bar a few kind of minor things that they put in for kind of, um, I suppose, dramatic effect to kind of give a bit of tension to the film. For example, uh, in the film... Barnes Wallace meets some kind of, um, you know, um, not restriction, some opposition from um, the RAF High Command about his bouncing bomb. Apparently, that never actually happened. You know, just (laughs) and but generally, the film's historically accurate about the whole mission, the plan, everything like that. So you actually learn something by watching it, which is always quite good. 
uh, from something as historically important yeah. as this. Yeah, I've never got around to watching it. And I feel I feel like a bad Brit. I was just thinking it. exactly the same thing. I don't think I've seen it all the way through. But it seems like we're missing out, really. Yeah. It's got a great tune as well. So, yeah, I'm, the, the Dan Buster's tune is awesome. Yeah, no, Steve, mm. I, you, you've shamed me into having to seek it out and watch it. And like you say, I'm sure it'll be on plenty of times in the... Well, I know it's a different war that we're about to start commemorating or celebrating, depending on which political party you seem to belong to. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll see lots of it on TV. And I, I will. I, I, I'm sure I heard somewhere there's like a remake of it, kind of potentially. There, in the... there is a remake in the works. Peter Jackson has um, got his hand on it. He's had to delay it because he, he's been making the Hobbit film. Did I hear it was, um, it was being written by Stephen Fry? Yes, oh, from okay. the information I can find out. Peter Jackson was interested in doing it, but Mel Gibson had the rights to it. Right. It sounds scary, him doing a World War Two. Jesus <laughs> Christ, Just, yeah. Um, in which he, the Brits he, are the good, in which, you yeah, know, we're the good guys. I, I can't trust yeah. him with, I can't trust him with doing a film where we're the good guys. He clearly will find a yeah. way to look at it from the German point of view or something. Yeah. <laughs> Mel Gibson saving the Jews, yeah. is that? Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, um, but he dropped the rights to it, so Jackson picked them up, um, Stephen Fry is apparently writing the script and um, there has been kind of 10 Lancaster bombers replicated and the dog's name is going to be changed. I'm not going to say what the dog's name is. I've said many things I shouldn't have said on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to drop the N-bomb no. on here. Interestingly though, was uh, did they leave it in the film that you watched? Honestly can't remember. No. It just kind of it, it just kind of phased through it. it has but, been kind of... but apparently, um just reading up on Wikipedia about the film, in some versions that have been on um television, British television mm-hmm. recently, the the name of the dog has been um dubbed mm-hmm. to trigger, which rhymes with yeah. um yeah. And, and and in the in the remake the dog's name is possibly going to be Digger. Okay. I just wouldn't make it rhyme. No. Just call him something else. Nipper or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Or Blackie. I don't know. No, you <laughs> oh, can't. <laughs> is that better? Yeah. <laughs> it's slightly, it's not, it's probably not as bad, is it? But still. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but no, I, I think Peter Jackson as well, on the subject of changing name, he said, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. Yeah, there will be if some. I, if, I, if, I do ch- if I do change it, you'll get all the people saying it's right, you can't do that, it's racist. And all the other people, and you know, other side of the coin, you get other people going, well, it's what the name of the actual dog was. Why change it? Is it though, dog was what, called? It was, was there actually in real life a dog called that, or was it just written for the film? Because if there is no real dog, then there's no one to insult. Is there by not no, having? I think maybe you just shouldn't pro- even have the dog. Yeah, what? Get the dog cast. doesn't do anything. The dog doesn't fly the Lancaster <laughs> bomber, does it? And drop the bomb. What does the dog do in the film? Exactly. It's a tertiary. Maybe if it's at most. Peter Jackson, though, maybe he'll get um, Andy Serkis to mocap the dog. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> you could make it all about the dog. Oh, yeah. Anyway, cheers, Steve. <laughs> Went down a bit of a dark alley there, didn't we? Yes, there we go. Bit, bit of light-hearted trivia then uh, to annoy you. It's about Star Wars. The attack on the Death Star in A New Hope was deliberately a homage to the Dam Busters. Nice. So there you go. Um, so, Owen, what film have you seen in the last week? 
uh, yeah, I watched uh, a film on Blinkbox that, uh, rather surprisingly, I hadn't heard of until I just happened to see it on one of their one of their deals on the website. Uh, it's called Age of Uprising: The Legend of Michael Cole Haas. Um, I presume that's how you pronounce his name. They say it quite a lot in the film. It just it's not sunk in. Michael Cole Haas. Michael Cole Haas. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. But um, yes, so it's quite a mouthful for a title. But the reason I hadn't heard of it uh, until a week or two ago is because it's uh, and it, and that it was surprising to me is because it stars Mads Mikkelsen, who I have ranted about a few times. Not ranted about. I've you know fawned over a few times in the in the in the past um, because he's one of my sort of favourite actors around at the minute, um, and I I just thought I knew all of these films that were out at the minute and what was around and what I could get hold of but apparently I don't there was this this film which is directed by a guy called Arno de Palier I think that's how you pronounce his name as well um who I'm ashamed to say I've also never heard of but also can't pronounce his name either because I am a fuckwit but otherwise you know you might have guessed from his name he's French um as is the film itself although it's kind of like a French and German film uh, at the same time uh, Michael Kohlhaas, who apparently was a real bloke in 16th century Germany, uh, but whose story was then adapted into kind of like a folk tale in the 19th century by a German author called uh, Heinrich von Kleist. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically the film is about a 16th century German played by a Danish actor speaking mostly in French. So it's a bit of a weird, weird mix up. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I can't purport to be an expert on the, the legend of this Michael Carhouse guy, but as far as I can tell, the film, you know, just from reading what's on, on Wikipedia, um, the film kind of follows the tale quite closely anyway, at least at the start, um, anyway. So the legend goes that this Carhouse chap is a horse trader who, upon arriving uh, in Saxony, he has to leave two of the horses with him. Um, with a nobleman as like collateral to let him into the into this 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 village um, to go and sell his horses. Uh, when he goes back to collect them, he gets these duds, these like naffed horses that aren't really his. They try to fob him off with these these workhorses. Um, so when he leaves, kicks up a fuss about it, um, and then the nobleman threatened him with imprisonment. Um, he again sort of causes a bit of a stink about this. They then kill his wife. Uh, so he swears revenge and leads an uprising of these local villagers and farmers and blacksmiths and so on um, to go on this crusade against this uh, oppressive aristocracy. So it's quite a political film, really. I know it's quite dated, but it's the, the message behind it is still quite relevant. I think, particularly if you try and relate it to things like, um, you know, the the ninety nine percent and stuff like that, and the one percent and in America and. Hey, the downtrodden are just getting poorer and the rich are getting richer and all that kind of thing. All this sort of story which is always prevalent throughout throughout history. Um, it still seems quite relevant today. It's hard to kind of describe what the film itself is like, really. Um, I mean, it is kind of like a revenge film, but it's not in a typical sense a revenge story. So it's nothing like um, an American thriller. Um... It's not anything like the South Korean revenge films that I've talked about in the past either. It's kind of a bit more... Um, and this is showing how sophisticated I am, actually. It, it's very talky, you know. <laughs> it's really all about what these people talk, say to each other. Um, it's also about the atmosphere in the film. 
uh, I kind of don't really know what else to relate it to. I want to say it feels kind of like um, a Nicholas Winding Refn film, but I, then I also think maybe that's just because it's Mads Mikkelsen, mm. you know. Um, but it's kind of set in the 16th century, so it's got quite a unique flavour to it as well. There's not much else I could say that's that's similar. You know, if you think of other films that deal with similar-ish types of, of story or settings, you know, even something like Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven, which is about a massive crusade, and it's much more of an epic than this ever is. Um, but even that's kind of not really similar enough. Mm. I don't really know what else I've seen that's like it. It's, it's quite different. Um, but yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Uh, it was nominated, or at least um, the director was nominated um, for a Palme d'Or um, in 2013, and it it's definitely that sort of film. If you you know if you know the kind of films that get nominated for Palme d'Ors and get shown at Cannes Film Festival, it is that sort of film really. So it's not going to be for everybody. It's quite slow. It's about two hours long, um, and lots of it is lots of landscapes you've got lots of scenery um lots of all these slow moving not much being said uh, open scenes and everything's left open to interpretation but it's also about the conversations that go on so um you know Denis Levant who was in Holy Motors mm. um he's in this as well and there's quite a sort of philosophical moment he has he has a debate with Mads Mikkelsen about his uh, revenge why he's doing this what is it what is he doing it for is he really doing it to to um stop these people from oppressing the villagers is he doing it on their behalf or is he really just getting revenge for what they did to his wife and so it's quite a touching touching moment in the film and the acting in it is just top notch particularly from those two um but yeah mad mickelson just fantastic actor if you want to carry his film just transforms himself so brilliantly depending on whatever performance he's giving you know i think we've talked before about hannibal the tv series that he's in at the moment he's fantastic in that absolutely brilliant um as this cold menacing um cannibal uh but in stuff like this where he's just quite a strong determined um very biblical kind of character actually um again he's just transforming himself and he's, he's fantastic so yeah, worth watching for his performance, I'd say. Also, if you if you kind of like these open uh, kind of films that have a, a very clear moral message to them, you'd also quite enjoy it. However, if you're the kind of person who walks out of films, if you think after half an hour it's a bit boring, it might not be for you. And that's not me trying to make a judgment. That is just the case that it's it's just one of those sort of films. I think you know what I'm trying to get at already. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really good. And if you get a chance to see it, if it comes up in another Blinkbox deal, for example, or it gets put onto Netflix, then um, then give it a go. It was only released in the UK in January. So um, still fairly new, I think. Worth a watch, though. I really liked it. Okay, so that's all for uh, what we've been watching. So up next is our new release reviews of A Million, Days to Die, a million Ways to Die in the West and Edge of Tomorrow. So, first new release to review is the new Seth MacFarlane comedy, uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West, which was seen by James. Mm. Now, James, on a scale of quality, which one does this compare to better of Western films? How the West was won, Wild Wild West, or Five All Goes West? Um, Wild Wild West. (laughs) (laughs) 
I won't have a word said about five. <laughs> bad word said about five will go to West. I was just trying to think of other films with West in the title. I can't think. I can't think of any more. Once upon a time in the West, uh, which, which is the West. ultimate one with the West yeah. in the yes, title, of course. West Side Story, which isn't even a Western. I don't know oh, I mean, you just don't get the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, should we have a clip first? Uh, yeah, <laughs> might as well. One, that's them. That's them. Uh, uh, quick, let's, uh, pretend you just said something funny. To me. Oh my god, you are you are so hilarious. Where do you come up? No, no, you pretend I said something Albert, funny. Stop, stop. Just introduce me. Introduce, I'm not gonna, come on, I'm not introduce. Oh, hi. Hey. Uh, Foy and Louise, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, this is Anna. She's. I'm his girlfriend. She's my girlfriend. Mm-hmm. She's the new GF. Big time. Oh, wow of sexual activity all the time it's i i live inside her so if you want to send me a letter you gotta address it care of her vagina yep there was a clip of a million ways to die in the west so after you got called a, a snob by the guardian newspaper uh which takes yeah. some doing yeah um after slating seth fine's last cinematic effort what do you think of this one, you snob? Oh, God. Yeah, do you know, I, I love the fact that I've got an online feud with someone who has no idea that I've got an online feud with them. I have an online feud with the Guardian's Peter Bradshaw. Yeah, and it wasn't even because um, I slated it. It's because the Guardian put it at number two in their top ten films of 2012, and I called that ridiculous. And he called me a snob for calling that ridiculous. Um, well, I'd have called it farcical. Yes. But, um, uh, now, the interesting thing is, um, before going into this film, I read some reviews from people who actually liked Ted. Um, I'm not saying... You know, they're people who... Some of whom I actually respect their film views. And they said that they didn't like A Million Ways to Die in the West, which really lowered my expectations. Um, yeah, basically, latest opus from Family Guy and Ted Auteur... Seth MacFarlane, you you learn right at the beginning of this film that he has written, directed, and uh, this time it's not only just featuring his words and his voice, but also his incredibly smug, punchable face. Um, yeah, you see where I'm going with this review. Uh, basically, MacFarlane plays Albert, who's a useless sheep herder in 1882 Arizona. Uh, beginning of the film, talks his way out of a gunfight, uh, kind of OK Corral style at noon thing and gets dumped by his girlfriend uh, played by Amanda Seyfried because she thinks he's a coward so after some basic plot points kind of turn up um, he then resolves to win her back while being mentored by a mysterious female stranger played by Charlize Theron who just so happens to be married to the baddest gunslinger in the west uh, a guy called Clinch which is just a weird now, yeah, again, I th- like a lot of this film I think it's meant to be a joke but I'm not sure um, and he's played by Liam Neeson now as I've said. Wouldn't it be better if his name was Clint? Yep. I think the joke is that it's not. I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> Sorry. Just, <laughs> the, the thing is, yeah, okay, we know I didn't like Ted. Um, and with Ted, I felt that the jokes that were there were, just weren't very funny. They fell flat with me. Um, and I do remember someone pointing out on Twitter, in fact, it was um, Jackson Tyler. Um, but I think it's... I think it has providence elsewhere that Seth MacFarlane's humour could be described as pointing out things that aren't Seth MacFarlane and then laughing at them. Um, and I can't, I couldn't get that out of my head. And so, you know, I went in there, I'll be honest, with a little bit of uh, prejudice. Um, but I still tried to review a film openly and objectively. And actually, 
A Million Ways to Die in the West isn't much worse than Ted. So I, I don't think it's that much lower than a lot of other people seem to think it is compared to Ted. Um, except this time, instead of jokes that don't work, it mostly just doesn't have jokes. <laughs> it's really weird for comedy. It's, so maybe it's a really brave Andy Kaufman-esque um, move or you know, kind of a, a Stuart Lee-esque idea to try and deconstruct the comedy. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to give it that much credit. Honestly, large tranches of this film are played entirely straight. Um, and there's a review um, which makes this point better than I can actually uh, by Callum on the website um, who kind of spotted the same things that I have um, but he he puts it better in words which is why I don't write many reviews these days um, but yeah the scenes between McFarlane and Charlize Theron um, they're just like a kind of Adam Sandler rom-com there's nothing edges in fact there aren't many jokes there Liam Neeson is just a nasty villain Without any, he's not a pantomime villain. He's not, um, yeah, you know, a really bad, funny villain. He's just—he's not—he's not akin to his his kind of character in the Lego movie. Although no, it's obviously no, animated, yeah, exactly. But that, his, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a pantomime villain. Yeah, you know, uh, and you no, you're exactly right. And I love his character in uh, Lego Movie, which which I adored. No, in this, he's just—he's just, he's just really—he could have come out of a any old kind of B B movie western. Um, just a really nasty person. Um, and the bits that are meant to be funny are basically uh, Seth MacFarlane playing a racist Jerry Seinfeld transported back to the Old West. That's what he's like. He, he wanders around like a, a stand-up comic that's been sent back to the Old West. Um, I, I, do you know what? I've, got just, I've written down a few positives, because there are some positives. This isn't a one-star worst film of the year contender. It's, it's not that bad. Um, there is actually a decent joke bit... Uh, there's a kid playing with a stick and a hoop, you know, these old-fashioned toys, and there's a little bit where they talk about how, oh, I read that it's rotting their brains and they're losing their concentration. I quite like that, that kind of, you know, the fact that adults have always been complaining about how kids spend their time. That was quite a nice little bit. Um, Charlize Theron does really well with what she's got, as does Neil Patrick Harris, who plays the kind of the antagonist in the film who steals Albert's girlfriend away from him. He's got this... Uh, wonderful moustache and Neil Patrick Harris is always good value as is Sarah Silverman who plays a Christian whore which is a nice joke she's going out with Giovanni Ribisi and they're a lovely Christian couple who uh, won't have sex before marriage but she's having sex with 10 men because she's also a whore at the same time so again it's a nice joke uh, gets stretched across the whole film gets a, a little bit tiresome though there is I will say there is a great barber scene which is funny it is cartoonishly violent and honestly uh, wouldn't be out of place in something like Blazing Saddles. There, there are moments, which I think makes it so infuriating, actually, because there are moments of some genuine comedy, and also it looked really good. For you know, it looked like a proper old-fashioned western. I think the cinematography did a fantastic job. The negatives, then, well, I've already mentioned the kind of lack of jokes uh, and the fact that most of the jokes that are up there just don't fit the tone of the film. Um, Seth MacFarlane. Does this uh, just does obnoxious stand-up routines half the time? It's just it's really really weird. Ju- judging from the trailer, he can't act. Yeah. Oh God, no, he is terrible. When he actually tries to act, that's when it gets even worse. He's just about comfortable. When he does his kind of obnoxious stand-up routine bits, okay, at least he's believable as an obnoxious stand-up. Um, but when he actually tries to act, Jesus, oh, ugh, it's horrible, horrible. Um, but then some of the jokes, I, I, like, I picked apart the joke, and me, a humble podcast from Britain, there's one bit where he's drunk and he gets on a horse and someone says, don't drink and horse. And I'm like, 
what that doesn't surely it's don't drink and ride because that sounds like drive and what what is don't I don't get that is that meant to be a joke or, yeah it just infuriated me a little bit there also his character makes no effort to fit in he's got a modern haircut that film throughout the film everyone else looks really period um he just looks like he's chucked on a shirt uh, he's turned he, up on set kind of thing he looks a bit like in the trailer just like he's gone to a fancy dress yeah. party as a cowboy exactly Ev- everything uh, else has got some one. really nice period detail and everyone else's characters are at least trying to talk it. he doesn't talk like anyone else in the film either so it's it, which again makes it really jarring when he tries to act now then it gets just when I'm starting to think do you know there was a bit about 20 minutes half an hour in where I was thinking Hang on, this isn't quite as bad as I thought. Oh, actually, no, the bits of this are a little bit clever. It's not brilliant, but the bits of this are a bit clever. Then he starts a bit about women with big backsides uh, with the line, if I was a black guy, dot, dot, dot. I just, I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe that in 2014, in a big budget, you know, mainstream comedy film, someone is doing, oh yeah, black guys, they like women with big butts, don't they, hey? Fucking hell, that's terrible. It, you know, it's just, and, and again, it's really bad because it, it's just not even funny. But it, it's horribly offensive. And then completely lacking in any self-awareness. There's uh, a moment where Neil Patrick Harris's character makes a joke in the town and everyone laughs. And Albert um, goes off on one and he's shouting, why is that funny? He's explaining why it isn't funny. And I'm in the cinema doing exactly the same thing to this film. You know, or, no, why is that funny? No, explain to me why that's funny. Um, then at one point there's this big song and dance thing, the moustache song, which clearly Seth MacFarlane wrote because Seth MacFarlane's also done a swing album, um, which just still blows my mind. Um, and the minute, uh, and at one point his character Albert says, uh, oh, I can't get that moustache song out of my head as if to go, wasn't that moustache song brilliant? <laughs> no, it wasn't. I forgot it the minute it finished Seth. Um, there's a drug trip in it because everyone lo- really loves surreal drug trips in their films, don't they? Oh, God. Um, and I couldn't believe it. He actually did that family guy trope of referencing something from popular culture without actually having a joke be part of it. Uh, that kind of sub Peter K, remember that thing you saw once style thing. And I know he did that in Ted with uh, the guy who played Flash Gordon coming back and being Flash Gordon. Uh, at least that actually went somewhere. I know a lot of people still didn't like it. I thought it was one of the better bits of the film because it did kind of make me laugh a bit. Um, but in here, there is uh, there are two appearances. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. I'll, I'll tell you guys in the break if you want to know. Um, there are two appearances by actors playing characters from westerns, and the entire joke is there's that actor playing a character from a western. That, that's it. There's no there's no joke around it, and that really quite upset me because uh, it was just horrible. And and as I said, it's a really nasty film at heart for what is essentially trying to be a sweet story about self-belief and true love. Not only is it open with a historical photo of a real-life hanging for joke purposes, um, but the main bad guy, Liam, he's a horrible psychopath, um, blindly killing people, threatens to rape his wife, and doesn't have a single funny line or moment or any humour in any of his scenes. I, it's just really, really unpleasant. Um... Do you like, out of interest, any Seth MacFarlane stuff? Uh, no. Uh, and it's not because I, I, I have tried. I have tried. Um, and it, it, no, it'd just be interesting in contrast. I don't to, hate to... Family Guy. I just don't get its massive popularity. No, no but like, if somebody who is a big fan of Family Guy and mm. American Dad, 
had seen this and we had that contrast with and maybe it was just you weren't getting oh, no, that no, that's, kind of humour. That's true, uh, but I have heard people who like Family Guy and really like Ted say that they were really disappointed by this. Because, because, because Family Guy has, has taken a decline, there's mm. no doubt about that, but then I've just watched the latest series of American Dad and that was really good. That American Dad's the one I, I've, I've not seen. And I'll be honest, I, I did think, and I think I said this on Twitter, maybe I'm not the audience for this film. Uh, maybe I'm not the audience for this film. But then, afterwards, I thought, well, hang on, um, it's, I love westerns. I love good comedies. I should be, if I'm not the audience for this film, why aren't I the audience for this well, film? Well, I suppose it's a different type of comedy, isn't it? I know, but. Different type. It just I mean, at least, but I suppose with Ted, you knew where the jokes were, and if this one, at least with Ted, you thought it's a shit joke. I'm not going to laugh yeah. at it, but I know there's meant to be a joke there, and if this one, same, same style, same director, whatever, writer, and you can't see where the jokes are, then maybe this film, it doesn't matter what type of comedy you like, it is just not funny. Well, yeah, maybe that. I, I just, but yeah, I was thinking, it, maybe I'm not the Seth MacFarlane target audience. But then I thought, well, but I'm the uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone target audience. And they, yeah, they're not a million miles away from him in terms of intent and in terms of background. And in terms of the fact that they like to be really offensive. The trouble is... Um, they're actually very clever and very funny and they know where their limitations are. They no longer star in their films because they know they can't act. Seth MacFarlane hasn't learnt that lesson yet. Or maybe he's just got such an ego that now he wants to be seen on the screen. He, he, re- I'm sorry, he really does seem to have a huge ego. I also hated his hosting of the Oscars as well, just to complete my... Uh, <laughs> that's when I first realised that he looked like a crooner from the 1960s. I didn't. Uh, I always pictured him as looking a bit like Peter Griffin. I'll be honest. That was <laughs> so when he hosted the Oscars, I was really, really stuffed. Okay. Uh, so uh, next is then a review of The Edge of Tomorrow, seen by Owen and James. And to me, from the trailer, just looks like Groundhog Day, but in a science fiction setting. Groundhog Day meets Starship Troopers, yes. pretty much. Yes. Uh, seems fair enough. Meets possibly source code. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, um, and I'll be honest, as, uh, uh, as a Tom Cruise, a Tom Cruise sci-fi fan, I think I mentioned that before, I saw the trailer and was a bit worried that it was going to be bad. Uh, cause I really wanted it to be good and the trailer did not sell it very well. Have you seen the trailer? You have seen the trailer, haven't you, Steve? Were you quite, yeah. did it sell the film to you hugely or did you just think, mm-hmm. I just I didn't think good, I didn't think bad. I thought it's I thought it would probably be on a par with Oblivion, his last right, sci fi yeah. effort. Like I'll enjoy it, it'll it will keep my attention for a couple of hours yeah. but I'm gonna leave the cinema and an hour later I'm not really gonna be thinking about it. Yeah. No, that's fair. I'm not it just I'm not gonna like I'm, a computer game from the mm. from the trailer as well, I thought. I thought I'm not gonna regret spending my money on it. But it's not going to be the best six or seven pounds I've ever spent. Okay. Well, before we go into it, then, should we, should we listen to a clip? Okay. You alright, Cage? I think I broke something. What? My back. The only thing I can feel are my lips. Now, listen carefully. This is a very important rule. This is the only rule. You get injured on the field, you better make sure you die. Why? Last time I was in combat, I was hit. I was bleeding out, just not fast enough. I woke up in a field hospital 
were three pints of someone else's blood, and I was out. I lost the power. Do you understand? I think we'd better start over, don't you? Right. Okay, so that was a clip then of Edge of Tomorrow, starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Yeah, um, so Tom Cruise uh, is directed by Doug Lehman, who did The Born Identity and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, as well as Swingers. Um, uh, and it stars Tom Cruise uh, as a, a media officer who then finds himself on the front line of a war against an alien invasion. Um, but he gets himself caught in a time loop uh, and he keeps reliving the same day and having to learn from his, his mistakes. And could he be the key to fighting off the alien invasion? It, so far, so very generic. Um I was genuinely surprised by how much I enjoyed this film. I, I, I just want to get that right out there now. I really enjoyed this film. I think um, Steve sort of hit the nail on the head for me, really. I, I liked it. I liked Oblivion as well. This is probably a better film than Oblivion. Um, and I would quite happily watch Edge of Tomorrow again. However, I don't think in sort of uh, end of year polls i'm gonna be placing it in my top 10 i just think it was quite a decent popcorn action sci-fi film it didn't really have i I thought it might be a bit too computer gamey you know like almost you're gonna go through the levels of fighting the different little alien creatures and then you'd go Mm. on to the boss and then you would go up to the next boss the next time and then each time it would be getting bigger um and i'll be honest as well the idea of the repetition of each event over and over again didn't fill me with optimism. Mm. I thought that might get a bit tedious, which it didn't. Mm. They did really mm. well at keeping it kind of fresh each time he went back and each time he had to do something else. It wasn't too um, repetitive or, 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 or too monotone either. It was just quite a nice blend of um, some decent action, some not not massively intelligent but it t- intelligent enough storyline to keep it yeah. sort of it quite, was, you know, it was keep you guessing as, as blockbusters go, as kind of sci-fi blockbusters go it was at the more intelligent end of the scale you know it was it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like a moon it wasn't uh, you know really really clever indie sci-fi um but at the same time it was certainly a lot cleverer than some of the dumb remakes we've had of uh films like total recall recently for example or, e- or even like After Earth, yeah. which was just just, just ridiculous um, and stupid and uh, uh, another waste yeah. of time After Earth was. But this wasn't. This was really quite entertaining. Yeah, I, and, and yeah, I just was right off the top. I thought uh, performances were good. Uh, Cruise, and maybe we'll have a bit of a chat about Cruise in a minute. Um, Cruise not only played kind of his actiony role, but actually I thought he got the slimy cowardly side of his character right near the beginning <laughs> yeah. of life. very much like kind of um jerry Maguire at the start of jerry Maguire. He, he he plays a media officer who is trying to weasel his way out of any kind of action at all uh and actually takes to blackmailing his his general uh which is why he ends up kind of uh, on the front line um so that's great uh emily blunt actually really convincing uh as uh, mm-hmm. I, I was quite surprised because i've not seen her in a role like this at all before um, and now I'm hearing that she's been sounded out around about Justice League films for I don't know which particular role, um, but she seems to have impressed enough people there. And brilliant to see Bill Paxton um, in, in a great kind of drill sergeant uh, role, a fantastic 
Southern States drill sergeant role as well. Um, and he's one of the reasons, actually, the film's really funny. Uh, and, and that was what surprised me. And it's, I can't remember, outside of the Marvel Universe, the last time we had a genuinely quite witty and funny blockbuster film. You know, it seems to me, especially in the last few years, the, the big summer blockbuster films have been, apart from the, apart from the comedy blockbusters, but they've been, they've been quite dry. They've been quite serious. You know, films like, uh, Elysium, uh, films like, uh, uh, well, Total Recall, uh, the Robocop remake, um, a number of other films that I can't even, you know, even Inception, which I really liked, but there's not much humour there. Um, there, there's just not a lot of laughs in, in big action blockbusters these days. It's not like there was in the 90s when you had films like The Rock and Face Off, which were ridiculous, but they remembered to put some jokes in there and that kind of thing. And this film, yeah. I thought, had some genuinely really funny bits. Some of it around the plot, some of it around characterisation. Um, and in fact, a lot of it did just remind me of those, those mid-90s action films that I, I think if this had come out, in the mid '90s, it would have been one of the biggest films of the year. I just, and it's weird thinking that a Tom Cruise film these days is a bit of an underdog, but this one has been a bit of an underdog in terms <laughs> of uh, box office. But it seems to have done pretty well. Yeah, not not amazingly it's, well, but um... well. I, 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 like I said, I really, really, I think I enjoyed it more than you did, Owen. Um, and I don't know if that's. Partly because of my cruise obsession. Like, oh, part, I, I also think Doug Lyman's actually a really interesting director as well. It was less than two hours. It did have a bit of a saggy middle section, I'll be honest, as it's, you know, most action films seem to these days. It, it could have and should have been a sub 100 minute film, probably. Um, bit of an unsatisfactory ending for me. A little bit of a, uh, the ending didn't quite live up to the promise of the rest of the film. That said, I'd, I'd actually be will. I'm willing to bet that this. I preferred this to. Um, I've preferred this to any of the other big blockbusters. Preferred it to Godzilla. Um, yeah, really? honestly, I, 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 I had more fun. Godzilla, another one without any kind of humour. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying all films have to. Have, but I'm, in a way, I think I enjoyed this film more because it just more because it it's something I've not seen for a few years. Um, in terms of this kind of scale of filmmaking but also feeling quite intimate as well. Uh, I honestly think this could be my favourite non-Marvel. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, big budget film of the summer. I, 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 it set a bar really high for me. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a good, solid, I know we don't do scores, but a really good, solid 8 out of 10 for me. Um, I would probably rank it just a bit below Winter Soldier. I mean, I enjoyed both of them. Mm. Um, much better than Amazing Spider-Man okay, yeah. 2, anyway. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, Winter Soldier's an interesting one. Cause I, again, I feel like 
these days I feel like I have to judge the Marvel films almost separately simply because they're almost like a soap opera. They've got characters that I know and it's the the continuing part of the story. I, I, I really like this. In terms of films that have to set up a character and a universe and a storyline in less than two hours, I think this did a brilliant job. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I really, really want people to go out and watch this because I think people will really enjoy it. And e- even if you only enjoy it as much as Owen enjoyed it, and Owen did enjoy it, he said so. Yeah, yeah. Even if it's even if it's not as much as I enjoyed it, but it's more how you enjoyed it. Do you know what? Still a good, fun, popcorny action film, which you're certainly not going to regret going to see. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting as well. You kind of made the uh, uh, comparison to nineties yeah. <laughs> sort of sci-fi action films and how big it would have been in the nineties. I think what is lacking from Edge of Tomorrow um, for me was the kind of edge that some of mm. those films had. You know, we we I keep bringing it up and keep comparing it to it because it's quite similar. But compared to Starship yeah. Troopers, which has a bit of satire in it. Um, it's quite an important message about sort of uh, gender mm-hmm. equality as well. There, there isn't really any of that in um, Edge of Tomorrow. No, although I, I it do just think seems Verhoeven's a bit like a, a bit very straightforward, a special case. Yeah, he, you know, I, I'd compare it to a film like The Rock uh, or Con Air or something like that, and. and you know, those films I grew up with and so I've got, you know, they've got a very, very special place in my heart. But actually, I think objectively speaking, this film isn't far off that level of film. I honestly I honestly think that. Um, yeah. I'd probably put it the same as The Rock and Conair, perhaps. A ah, bit that that, that, that suits me absolutely fine. I'm happy yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> but it is really interesting. Yeah. You know, I was talking to... Um, uh, Tom Linnae, uh, D- at DCM, Tom Linnae, I think, yeah, I had to feel bad now. Well, I was chatting to him about uh, Tom Cruise, because obviously I reposted my blog from last year, uh, around the time of Oblivion, uh, about why actually Tom Cruise is our last great movie star, uh, and we need to treat him better. And I genuinely think, I, and again, this is, Tom Cruise gets these type of films made, and regardless of what people think of it some people have thought it, it's alright some people have really really enjoyed it and there have been some really positive reviews of this film what I do think is is great about what Tom Cruise is doing at the moment is it, even Oblivion last year he's he's helping get completely new non-franchised non-sequel original in the sense that we've not seen them on screen before sci-fi blockbusters made and not many other people are doing that and I, I think he deserves some credit mm. for that yeah, well, you know, although he did make Jack Reacher, which I know is not quite the same, but it's still kind of adapting a popular book series. Although, again, we've not um, seen it on screen before, at least. It, well, it wasn't a yeah, sequel. That's true. But it, yeah, and this was based on a, a Japanese manga, wasn't it, originally, Edge of Tomorrow? All You Need Is Kill, I think it was. Got, yeah, it's got, yeah. Li- it's got a literary source, but... Um, and uh, Oblivion was a yeah. comic as well, I think. But then there was some ambiguity about whether the comic came before the concept yes. for the film yeah yeah, way it, yeah it done, wasn't but... tr- it's not as traditional as uh, this one for example but um yeah yeah and i'd still i keep i said it in my blog and i keep saying that the man just he earns every dollar for the films that he makes uh, as a, in my book he still does his stunts um which i think is fantastic for a man 51 years old he's he's ultimate he's really really professional there was a fantastic um profile of him in Hollywood Weekly earlier this week that I read just you know interviews with him 
from the start of his career going onwards and how he uh, he never wanted to be seen as being part of the Rat Pack. Uh, he got offered Top Gun uh, 2 immediately after Top Gun was made and they offered to quintuple his salary and he said no and he went and made The Colour of Money instead because he wanted to work with Paul Newman and he always wanted to be remembered uh, as a great like Paul Newman. Uh, you know, regardless of whatever people think of his personal life, I, 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 think, he, I think we're going to miss him when he's gone, I really, really do. Yeah, there was an interesting conversation that came up as well, though, um, which was mm. on the Football 365 forum, which was about how um, some people think he's too old to be playing these sort of roles okay. now. And I'm going to sort of put on... Uh, well, it's not film, is it? What is this? Put, put on audio, put on digital yeah. record. Um, I disagree. I think he's still quite convincing playing yeah. these roles. Um, he's, you know, you see him in Edge of Tomorrow and it's it's natural to see him do that that sort of thing. He's really talented yeah. at it. Um he he seems to be um born to play these sort of roles. And it's quite refreshing to see someone who you know, he's not making um Oscar bait in films. He doesn't really go for those um he hasn't really done mm. that throughout his career, I guess. Uh, but also he's he's playing these roles that aren't sort of Straight to video action no. films. Perhaps that might just be because he's Tom Cruise, and wherever he goes, people throw money at him. But you know, he's, he's look at people like Jason Statham, yeah. for example. They're completely different, but both have made a career now out of playing action yeah. heroes. And There's, it's not a small. It's not a surprise to see that Tom Cruise is considerably more successful. No, no, it. and I think there are a number. Of thing, he doesn't that. look. I'm sorry, he doesn't look fifty one. <laughs> If I look like that at fifty-one, no. I, you know, and, you know, you look. He's older than uh, Nigel Farage from UKIP, and they, there you go. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, the fact that he doesn't look fifty, and and Hollywood has always had uh, blokes have always had a longer career in Hollywood, and always been able to kind of play the action hero for long. How old was um, Harrison Ford doing uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, for for example? You know, and mm. uh, and again, yeah, they've always had been teamed up with younger co-stars just because that's what people like to see on screen i think it's difficult to to blame tom cruise for that uh, and i do think he although he does get off with a lot of women a lot younger what, than in him. films oh yeah yeah as, as does george clooney though as does brad pitt as yeah, yeah. I, I, all i would yeah. argue I'd, I'd say he's part of the hollywood system rather than being the cause of it uh you know look at look at hitchcock's films for example how old were some of the leads there and how young and pretty were some of their their female leads, yeah? You know, uh, James Stewart and Grace yeah. Kelly, for example. That is a huge age difference going on there. Um, and James yeah. Stewart looked his age as a good-looking man, but he, he looked his age. Um, <laughs> so again, I don't think I don't think it's either a modern. I don't think it's a modern phenomenon, and I certainly don't think it's it's Tom Cruise going right. Well, you've got to make me look like this. I I, I think the producers are probably the bigger driver of that. I know Tom Cruise is a producer, but the studios will be saying, "Well, Tom Cruise needs to be with a pr- pretty young woman because that's that's what action films are." Yeah, you know? um, and yeah, I, I, I'm just yeah, I'm just really really pleased anyway that he's he's still making films and uh, and we need to cut him some slack because he's he's a great movie star. He really is, and he's one of the last ones we've got. Okay, that's all for um, Edge of Tomorrow then, and before the podcast comes to an end. Uh, we have our recommendations for the next week or so. Uh, I am going to start us off with these. I'm going for a bad film this time. Oof. Just to be a bit different. 
Um, there's a reason for this though. And you're probably going to record this because there's no way in hell you should be staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning for the end of this. Uh, it's on uh, Monday morning, starts at 1 o'clock. It is Captain America on Viva. Now people think, well, Captain America is a good <gasps> film. No, this is the 1990 version. <laughs> wow. So put your, put your Sky Plus boxes, other means of recording television are available. Put it on to, to record Viva, whatever the bloody hell that channel is. It's a is. music channel, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Bizarre. At 1 o'clock, at 1am on Monday to record the 1990 version of Captain America and just com- watch it to compare how bad it is compared with Marvel's most recent efforts. Wow. I, I, I've actually watched a few films on Viva because they put Missing in Action on, you know, the Chuck Norris oh, yeah. film? And I'd never seen it. Um, yeah, they seem to show some very strange films on on what is essentially a music channel. Um, but yes, but get get that one watched. I want at least one of you to have watched that before next I, week. I don't have access to, to Viva. I've just got Freeview these days. Just yeah, me, just your own. Viva is on Freeview, James. It's not on Freeview. It no is. No chance. I'm sure it is. I also, <laughs> I've got nothing to record it on, so I'll have to actually start at 3 o'clock in the morning if I do find it then. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, so, James, what are you recommending? Uh, I'm going for a, a new addition to Netflix, um, and it's one of the first films that we reviewed. Or we, I think, I reviewed on here. Um, Jeff, who lives at home, has just been added to Netflix UK. And if you've not seen it, a really nice little indie film directed by the Duplass brothers, um, starring Jason Segel uh, and Ed Helms and Judy Greer and Susan Sarandon. Uh, re- I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but also. Uh, my wife hated it, so who knows? <laughs> so don't choose it for a date film. But no, it, it's it's kind of classic mumblecore indie, uh, learning a bit about yourself. But I thought it had a lot of heart, and I do remember our sadly missed uh, Jerry McCauley also really enjoyed that film. So uh, yeah, get it watched. And Owen? Well, I can't believe James has just stolen the Netflix recommendation from really? my news. Oh, I amazing. was about to pick, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't going to pick that particular film. Um, I was going to go for uh, Pulp Fiction, which has oh, just been it? added oh. to Netflix UK, uh, which is by far my favourite um, Quentin Tarantino film and one of my favourite films of all time. Um, just utterly brilliant. But I've just had a quick look to see what else is on TV. And uh, To Catch a Thief, the Hitchcock film, uh, is on 11am on Film 4 on Friday. So you can take a pick. If you want to watch something that's on TV on Friday, then To Catch a Thief is, is quite an interesting, um, fun film. Uh, and also Pulp Fiction, brilliant film on Netflix UK. Okay. Um, so yes, that brings to an end this week's Fail Critics podcast. Next week will be new release reviews of 22 Jump Street and... Potentially, uh, Grace of potentially Grace of Monaco. If anyone can be bothered to watch that, I, I also think I also think the Postman Pat movie's out. It's right? been out a little while now. Yeah, Has it's it? been out a little while. Um, I've, I've completely missed yeah, that. No, no, Grace of Monaco is apparently worse than Diana, of which I, I'm I'm genuinely tempted by. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just genuinely, genuinely tempted by. Um, so yeah. Let, let's see but we'll definitely be reviewing 22 Jump Street and just to say I've not seen it but I'm hearing very good things from people that are saying it hasn't disappointed them which 
both very, very well. Okay. Um, so, yes, like I said, that's all for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week. So thanks to everyone who's listened and everyone who's contributed in any way. And we'll be back in seven days' time. The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. You can find us at failedcritics.com, at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics, and on Twitter at at failedcritics. Jonathan Glazer, um, starring Scarlett Johansson, uh, as basically it's a bit like uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth, but set in Glasgow. Um, Scarlett Johansson plays a mysterious kind of seductress female alien from another planet and we don't really know what her what her intentions are and she drives around Glasgow in a white transit van (laughs) enticing young men into the van back to their house where they disappear into some black goop and are gone forever it's it's a very very odd film and I knew it would be an odd film going in but I don't think I was quite prepared for how utterly bizarre it is it's a very very strange film the tone is is uneven uh i think purposefully as well it mixes from very kind of esoteric um imagery uh like i said the the kind of seductress black goop scenes are just utterly surreal and bizarre but quite quietly beautiful at the same time but that's mixed in with uh, kind of almost you've been framed not you've been framed Beadle's about there we go show my age Beadle's about kind of hidden camera work uh, and it's, it's really interesting the fact that Jonathan Glazer basically followed Scarlett Johansson around Glasgow she's got a, a wig on she looks a little bit different but he followed her and secretly recorded her talking to random Scottish men um, so a lot of the people in this film don't realise they're in a film obviously until afterwards they must have signed releases and things like that and she's going around asking for directions and that that gives an odd kind of vibe to the film. It's interesting and it's different to pretty much anything I've seen in terms of, you know, as main, I say mainstream cinema, but you know, this isn't very mainstream at all. It's actually based on a, a novel by Michael Faber, and from what I gather, it sticks reasonably close uh, to the novel. Now, all I would say is it, and and I'm going to sound like Steve here actually. Bits of it just seemed weird for being weird's sake, and I know that I defended um, uh, Holy Motors, but I, I kind of felt like I knew what I was getting into with Holy Motors. But this takes you by uh, takes you by surprise in the fact that it's weird. Uh, I, I did expect more of a joined up narrative. I expected something a little bit more coherent. There's not a huge amount of character development. Apart from the main character, you don't really meet anyone else long enough to get any attachment to them or see any reason uh, why you would care about them. There's a few really, really disturbing and quite upsetting scenes, and not because they're violent or anything like that, but just because... And, and you know, I suppose this is the skill of the director and, and of the production, but just a couple of scenes that just made me i wanted to leave the cinema um and i went with my there was a a scene of a baby that was just left on a beach crying it was just absolutely horrible really really horrible scene um and i you know i said i said i wanted to kind of walk out actually my friend nathan who i went to see the film with went for a drink and i said i'm going to see under the skin oh i might come with you came down about an hour in he just turned to me whispered in my ear um 
nothing sexual. Uh, <laughs> and said, hey, well, I yeah, <laughs> I just said, I've had enough. And he walked out. <laughs> and I was like, all right, bye. <laughs> and I don't, I kind of can't blame he, he, I spoke to him on Twitter afterwards. He said, I, I, life's too short. I, I, I couldn't spend another 40 minutes watching that. I hated it. Um, and I didn't, I, I was interested in the film. I didn't like the film, but it wasn't enough to make me walk out. And as I was thinking about the film, I thought, because Jonathan Glazer has made his name as the director of Radiohead videos, and this essentially felt like a one-hour, forty-minute Radiohead video. You know, there's the the great Radiohead videos had a lovely concept that stretched brilliantly over four or five minutes. The just video of the man laying down on the floor and everyone asking him, "Oh, what's wrong with you? I can't tell you." And then, spoiler alert, ends with them all laying on the floor. Um, Karma Police, I think it was, with the man being followed by the car, and uh, you know, th- these are great great videos that work really well in the format of a five minute pop video the same kind of the same techniques and the same uh mo being stretched over a one hour 40 minute feature film really really didn't do it for me but i just you know i thought about i didn't walk out of this and there's worse films i haven't walked out of i think the one i've come closest to was when i went to see the the british rugby film up and under um because went with a group of friends and Titanic was sold out. Um, and so we went to see Up and Under instead and really close to walking out of that. Really close to walking out of Silent Hill, but I was with friends. And again, I felt, I, I feel compelled to stay in a cinema and watch a film no matter how bad it is. Uh, and I don't know about you guys. Generally, uh, generally I'm too tight to walk out of something that I've paid for. <laughs> I, I, I get that. I get that, totally. And, you know, but I did, I did walk out of, the Inbetweeners movie with about 10 minutes left but that was because we were playing football that well that afternoon and my friend sat next to me in the cinema and said if we don't go now we're going to be late for kickoff. I think he panicked a bit but we did <laughs> we were cutting it fine in the end but I think we could have still watched the end but we pretty much had it it was pretty much resolved anyway in the film. So yeah. yeah. But you don't miss yeah, from the ending I've, really do. Yeah. The Inbetweeners. I've, I've not I've not walked out of a film because I thought it was crap, even if I have been watching a crap film, I've not walked out for that reason. I just stuck it out. I think that's yeah. That that I I feel like that as well. I feel like I have to, and it's weird because if I'm at home, I'll turn off a film that I, I'm really not enjoying. I've done that plenty of times, and I think it is something different about having. I think you're right, Steve. I think we're tight. We've paid the money. We're going <laughs> we're going to sit here and enjoy this terrible film. <laughs> it's, all, it's, all, it's all the fact that it's all the, the fact that once. A, once I leave, I've got to go back to reality. That's true as well. Yeah, I'd I'd rather I'd rather sit watching, you know, another hour of someone else's crap story than going back to mine. Yeah. Um, no, no, that's fine. I've not walked out on the film, even though I've got the unlimited card. So I don't know if it's card. Yeah, maybe it's enough, the but, you know maybe it's the effort that you've made to get there in the first place. I don't know. Although the most effort I made to watch a film, I walked out on. Which one was that? Which was um. I went to see um, an open air screening of uh, The Exorcist. Oh actually. god, yeah, I remember. Yeah, in it was at Caversham in um, near Reading, and uh, it, it was a real struggle for me to get there. It was like just after work, and I had to rush out of the house and try and arrange to get there on time. And in the end, we got there just about um, with enough time to spare to get seats and everything. And then, because it's an open air screen, you have headphones. Um, you have to put these big, massive headphones on and find an uncomfortable chair at the back, and it was absolutely freezing. 
We hadn't eaten anything. The people around us were absolute villains, just talking and joking and laughing as if it, they were just sat in their own like living room. I thought, well, you know, it is kind of just an outdoor picnic type thing, but mm. people are still trying to watch the film. And also, we had problems with the headphones where it was cutting in with like a local radio. So every so oh, often, God. the film would cut out, and you'd just get this interview with ZZ Top. And think, mm, <laughs> that this isn't true. really. Who was this? <laughs> it was it was 2012. Yeah, believe it or not. Who's interviewing ZZ Top on local radio in 2012? Uh, that's, well, that's all it. they can get on these days. They can't BBC get on national Parcher, radio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, you know, they sometimes get like like some Ollie Murs interview that's been cut round every local radio station on the same owned by the same people. Not ZZ mm. Top. Not ZZ Top. No, not at like 11 o'clock at night as well. Yeah. Wow. But the um, <laughs> so the, uh, uh, the the film was brilliant. Exorcist, of course, is brilliant. But I did walk out of it because of the people around us, and it was cold, and I was miserable. Um, and I I absolutely hate people talking through films, so I couldn't stand it. We just had to no, get up and leave. I, no, I get that. I keep seeing adverts for these kind of social cinema events, like at pubs and bars, where people mm. sit and drink and talk through a film, and that just sounds like hell to me um i asked on twitter and a few uh people did get back to us so uh uh at s Furnival said that what um uh, my kingdom starring richard harris uh but it was because his flatmate had a panic attack so uh he went back to see it the next day that ah, seems fair enough to me um uh tylier 002 jackson tyler uh oh you old joker yes credits started rolling and everyone else was standing up so i thought i'd better go because I just said, have you ever walked out of a cinema? Uh, yes, very literal. <laughs> Thank you, Jackson. Very good. Um, uh, at Churlish Meg said, Babe, uh, at the Macclesfield Majestic in 1995. Oscar Whoa. nominated Babe. I, I'm, I'm, I, st- I still can't get my head around that being Oscar nominated. I'm, I'm stunned by that. Um, my, my wife, at Kate Diamond, uh, she, we're having an argument at the moment about time. She hated about time. Uh, I, I played, I bought her about time because I really enjoyed it and then she hated it. And so she just replied that Richard Curtis thing. She didn't walk out of the cinema, but she would have uh, if she'd seen it in the cinema. She did go and see Lord, the first Lord of the Rings film with me, despite the fact she had no interest in it and said that after the first 30 minutes, she just made up her own film. She just she sat for two and a half hours, not Is taking it, a single thing in from the screen. So she basically did. Do you remember the Simpsons episode where they get taken in by the cult and they're shown the video and Hober ends up at the end so what do you take from that film home? So internal affairs were setting him up the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still quite impressed. Uh, at Elmore LTM, uh, he said, Austin Powers, utter horseshit, couldn't tolerate another second. Wow. Um, hmm. uh, our good friend at Shorky1969, never, ever, <laughs> um, which doesn't surprise me at all about Shorky. And, uh, yeah. oh, oh. Our good regular Matt Lambourne said, "Interesting. He nearly had to leave Twelve Years a Slave, not because it was bad, because he found it too grim. Uh, just about stuck with it, though. Uh, I think he made the right decision there. So, uh, it's quite interesting. I, I, I've always, I've always found cinema walkouts uh, interesting. I, I do kind of seek out films that I know people have walked out of because I, I want to test myself almost. Hmm. I was, it's I was quite surprised. Walk out and then demand their money back." Yeah, they're the weird ones. Yeah, you can, you you can't demand your money back. That's 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 a fu- step far. If but, if you walk out, yeah. you know what? Say goodbye to that eight quid. Or do whatever. you think? Do you think you know the guy who t- the, the first tweet you read out who left because his friend had a panic yeah. attack? Do you think if he'd explained to the people at the at the cinema 
I've had to leave early because my friends had a panic attack. I want to come back and see the rest of the film. He'd come back the next day. They would have let him in from the point where he walks out. <laughs> I think yeah. they You can't just... go back and watch the whole thing again, but you can go back and watch what you didn't see. Um, that seems the least likely one. I, I, I think <laughs> a chain chain place would probably go, yeah, get, get fucked. Uh, but I think a nice little independent cinema would just go, do you know what? Come back and see the whole thing from the start tomorrow. That's what I, I like wouldn't let think. him see the whole thing. Just if you've walked out after fifty-three minutes, you can go back in after three fifty-three minutes. <laughs> you're just the one on the door. You're harsh, Steve. You, you know, or, yeah. No, or else technically you've paid to see one film. So technically, if you go and see the whole thing again, it's theft. <laughs> Unless they let you in, it's theft if you sneak in to watch just the last fifty-three minutes of a film. Wow. I think this up, this, is, this debate could rage on and on for up, five yeah, minutes till I is... find out that I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll move on from there. Uh, go on to the film that I watched in the last uh, week, which was um, the, which was the Dam Busters from 1955. Uh, one of probably the most iconic British Second World War films. I'll tell you quite a bit because it's 70 years since uh, 70th anniversary of D-Day, although. Dan Busters was took the the event that it, that it surrounds Operation uh, Chastise was was two years before uh, D Day or you know sometime before D Day D Day anyway. Um, but I think there's going to be a lot of war films on Second World War films on in the next sort of month or so because of seventy years on from D Day. Um, but anyway, it tells the story of. Um, the attempt of the British to bomb some dams uh, in Germany, which will destroy or hamper the Germans' wartime production industry. Everyone in this film talks with a middle-class British accent that you hear in every British war film. It's basically it, what um, the Armstrong and Miller kind of quite popular mm. characters are based on, isn't it? That, that's the most yes. popular touchstone, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, every character has that same accent. Um, but it is just one of these kind of, it's a good film. It's, an, it's one of these enjoyable films, um, kind of that go through World War Two, where you never really see that. It's kind of one of those ones where you never see too much death and destruction. You know it happens, but it's not too graphic. And it all goes along at a very jolly pace. You know, with, with the Brits, we're going to bosh the Hun and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it, and it goes along at that kind of pace. But it, it but what is also quite good about it, it's historically accurate, bar a few kind of minor things that they put in for kind of, um, I suppose, dramatic effect to kind of give a bit of tension to the film. For example, uh, in the film, Barnes-Wallace meets some kind of, um, you know, um, res- not restriction, some opposition from um, the RAF High Command about his bouncing bomb. Apparently that never actually happened, you know, just... <laughs> And but generally the film's historically accurate about the whole mission, the plan, everything like that. So you actually learn something by watching it, which is always quite good uh, from something as historically important yeah. as this. Yeah, I, 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 I've never got around to watching it, and I, I, I feel I feel like a bad Brit. For having I was just thinking it. exactly the same thing. I don't think I've seen it all the way through, but it seems like we're missing out, really. Yeah. It's got a great tune as well, so yeah, um, the, the Dan Buster's tune is awesome. Yeah, no, Steve, I, you, you've shamed me into having to seek it out and watch it. And like you say, I'm sure it'll be on plenty of times in the... Well, I know it's a different war that we're about to start 
commemorating or celebrating, depending on which political party you seem to belong to. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll see lots of it on TV. And I, I will. I'm, I'm sure I heard somewhere there's like a remake of it, kind of potentially. There, in the... there is a remake in the works. Peter Jackson has um, got his hand on it. He's had to delay it because he, he's been making the Hobbit film. Did I hear it was, um, it was being written by Stephen Fry? Yes, oh, from okay. the information I can find out. Peter Jackson was interested in doing it, but Mel Gibson had the rights to it. Right. It sounds scary, him doing a World War II Jesus thing. Jesus Christ, Just, yeah. Um, in which he, the Brits he, are the good, in which, you know, we're the good guys. I, I can't trust yeah. him with, I can't trust him with doing a film where we're the good guys. He clearly will find a way yeah. to look at it from the German point of view or something. <laughs> Mel Gibson saving the Jews, yeah. is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, but he dropped the rights to it, so Jackson picked them up. Um, Stephen Fry is apparently writing the script, and um, there has been kind of ten Lancaster bombers replicated, and the dog's name is going to be changed. I'm not going to say what the dog's name is. I've said many things I shouldn't have said on this podcast. <laughs> I'm not going to drop the N-bomb no. on here. Interestingly, though, was uh, did they leave it in the film that you watched? Honestly, can't remember. Uh, it just kind of it, it just kind of phased through it. Has but, been kind of. But apparently, um, just reading up on Wikipedia about the film, in some versions that have been on um, television, British television mm-hmm. recently, the, the name of the dog has been um, dubbed mm-hmm. to Trigger, which rhymes with. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and in, in the in the remake, the dog's name is possibly going to be Digger. Okay. I just wouldn't make it rhyme. No. Just call him something else. Nipper or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Or Blackie. I don't know. No, you can't. <laughs> is that better? Yeah. It's like, it's not, it's probably not as bad, is it? But still. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but no, I, I think Peter Jackson as well, on the subject of changing name, he said, I'm damned if I do and I'm damned if I don't. Yeah, there will be if some. I, if, I, if I do, ch- if I do change it, you'll get all the people saying it's right, can't do that, it's racist. And all the other people, and you know, other side of the coin, you get other people going, well, it's what the name of the actual dog was. Why yeah. change it? Is it's it what the dog was what, called? It was... was there actually in real life a dog called that, or was it just written for the film? Because if there is no real dog, then there's no one to insult. Is there by not no, having? I think maybe you just shouldn't pro- even have the dog. Yeah, what? The cast. dog doesn't do anything. <laughs> the dog doesn't fly the Lancaster bomber, does it? And drop the bomb. What does the dog do in the film? Exactly. It's a tertiary. Maybe if it's at most. Peter Jackson, though, maybe he'll get um, Andy Serkis to mocap the dog. That'd be cool. <laughs> <laughs> you could make it all about the dog. Oh, yeah. Anyway, cheers, Steve. <laughs> Went down a bit of a dark alley there, didn't we? Yes, there we did. Bit, bit of light-hearted trivia then uh, to annoy you because it's about Star Wars. The attack on the Death Star in A New Hope was deliberately a homage to the Dam Busters. Nice. So there you go. Um, so, Owen, what film have you seen in the last week? Uh, uh, yeah, I watched uh, a film on Blinkbox that, uh, rather surprisingly, I hadn't heard of until I just happened to see it on one of their one of their deals on the website. Uh, it's called Age of Uprising: The Legend of Michael Cole Haas. Um, I presume that's how you pronounce his name. They say it quite a lot in the film. It just it's not sunk in. Michael Cole Haas. Michael Cole Haas. I think that's how you pronounce it anyway. But um, yes, so it's quite a mouthful for a title. But the reason I hadn't heard of it. Uh, until a week or two ago is because it's uh, and it, and then it was surprising to me is because it stars Mads Mikkelsen who I have ranted about a few times to- not ranted about I've you know fawned over a few times in the in the 
in the past um, because he's one of my sort of favourite actors around at the minute. Um, and I, I just thought I knew all of these films that were out at the minute and what was around and what I could get hold of, but apparently I don't. There was this this film, which is directed by a guy called Arno de Pallier, I think that's how you pronounce his name as well, um, who I'm ashamed to say I've also never heard of, but also can't pronounce his name either because I am a fuckwit. But otherwise, you know, you might have guessed from his name, he's French, um, as is the film itself, although it's kind of like a French and German film uh, at the same time. Uh, Michael Kohlhaas, who apparently was a real bloke in 16th century Germany, uh, but whose story was then adapted into kind of like a folk tale in the 19th century by a German author called uh, Heinrich von Kleist. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically the film is about a 16th century German played by a Danish actor speaking mostly in French. So it's a bit of a weird, weird mix-up. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't purport to be an expert on the, the legend of this Michael Carhaas guy, but as far as I can tell, the film, you know, just from reading what's on, on Wikipedia, um, the film kind of follows the tale quite closely anyway, at least at the start. Um, anyway, so the legend goes that this Kohlhaas chap is a horse trader who, upon arriving uh, in Saxony, he has to leave two of the horses with him um, with a nobleman as like collateral to let him into the into this 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 village um, to go and sell his horses. Uh, when he goes back to collect them, he gets these duds, these like naft horses that aren't really his. They try to fob him off with these these work horses. Um, so when he leaves, kicks up a fuss about it. Um, and then the nobleman threatened him with imprisonment. Um, he again sort of causes a bit of a stink about this. They then kill his wife. Uh, so he swears revenge and leads an uprising of these local villagers and farmers and blacksmiths and so on um, to go on this crusade against this uh, oppressive aristocracy. So it's quite a political film, really. I know it's quite dated, but it's... The message behind it is still quite relevant, I think, particularly if you try and relate it to things like, um, you know, the the 99% and stuff like that, and the 1% in, in America, and how the downtrodden are just getting poorer, and the rich are getting richer, and all that kind of thing. All this sort of story, which is always prevalent throughout, throughout history, um, it still seems quite relevant today. It's hard to kind of describe what the film itself is like, really, um, I mean, it is kind of like a revenge film, but it's not in a typical sense a revenge story. So it's nothing like um, an American thriller. Um, it's not anything like the South Korean revenge films that I've talked about in the past either. It's kind of a bit more... Um, and this is showing how sophisticated I am, actually. It, it's very talky, you know. <laughs> it's really all about what these people talk, say to each other. Um, it's also about the atmosphere in the film. Uh, I kind of don't really know what else to relate it to. I want to say it feels kind of like um, a Nicholas Winding Refn film, but I, then I also think maybe that's just because it's Mads Mikkelsen, mm. you know. Um, but it's kind of set in the 16th century, so it's got quite a unique flavour to it as well. There's not much else I could say that's that's similar. You know, if you think of other films that deal with similar-ish types of, of story or settings you know even something like Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven which is about a massive crusade and it's much more of an epic than this ever is um, but even that's kind of not really similar enough mm. I don't really know what else I've seen that's like it it's, it's quite different um, but yeah I thought it was really really good 
it was nominated, or at least um, the director was nominated um, for a Palme d'Or um, in 2013, and it it's definitely that sort of film. If you you know if you know the kind of films that get nominated for Palme d'Ors and get shown at Cannes Film Festival, it is that sort of film really. So it's not going to be for everybody. It's quite slow. It's about two hours long, um, and lots of it is lots of landscapes. You've got lots of scenery, um, lots of all these slow moving, not much being said, uh, open scenes, and everything's left open to interpretation. But it's also about the conversations that go on. So um, you know, Denis Levant, who was in Holy Motors, mm. um, he's in this as well. And there's quite a sort of philosophical moment he has. He has a debate with Mads Mikkelsen about his uh, revenge why he's doing this what is it what is he doing it for is he really doing it to to um, stop these people from oppressing the villagers is he doing it on their behalf or is he really just getting revenge for what they did to his wife and so it's quite a touching touching moment in the film and the acting in it is just top notch particularly from those two um, but yeah Mads Mikkelsen just fantastic actor if you want to carry his film just transforms himself so brilliantly depending on whatever performance he's giving, you know. I think we've talked before about Hannibal, the TV series that he's in at the moment. It's fantastic in that, absolutely brilliant. Um, as this cold, menacing um, cannibal. Uh, but in stuff like this, where he's just quite a strong, determined, um, very biblical kind of character, actually. Um, again, he's just transforming himself, and he's, he's fantastic. So... Yeah, worth watching for his performance, I'd say. Also, if you if you kind of like these open uh, kind of films that have a, a very clear moral message to them, you'd also quite enjoy it. However, if you're the kind of person who walks out of films, if you think after half an hour it's a bit boring, it might not be for you. And that's not me trying to make a judgment. That is just the case that it's it's just one of those sort of films. I think you know what I'm trying to get at already. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I thought it was really good. And if you get a chance to see it, if it comes up in another Blinkbox deal, for example, or it gets put onto Netflix, then um, then give it a go. It was only released in the UK in January. So um, still fairly new, I think. Worth a watch, though. I really liked it. Okay, so that's all for uh, what we've been watching. So up next is our new release reviews of A Million Days to Die, A Million Ways to Die in the West and Edge of Tomorrow. So, first new release to review is the new Seth MacFarlane comedy, uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West, which was seen by James. Now, mm. uh, James, on a scale of quality, which one does this compare to better of Western films? How the West was won, Wild Wild West, or Five All Goes West? Um, Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> I won't have a word said about Five All Goes West. I was just trying to think of other films with Western no, no, titles. I, I like I can't it. think. I can't think of any more. Once upon a time in face. the West, uh, which, which is the is. ultimate one with the Western yeah. title, of course. West Side Story, which isn't even a Western. I don't know oh, when you just don't get the rules. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, should we have a clip first? Right, yeah, <laughs> might as well. well. Then. That's them. That's them. Right there. Uh, uh, quick, let's, uh, pretend you just said something funny. To me. Oh my god, you are you are so hilarious. Where do you come up? No, no, you pretend I said Albert, something funny. Stop, stop. Just introduce me. Just, I'm not gonna, come on, I'm not gonna introduce. Oh, 
Foy. Hey. Uh, Foy and Louise, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, this is Anna. She's... I'm his girlfriend. She's my girlfriend. Mm -hmm. She's the new GF. Big time. A lot of sexual activity. All the time. It's I, I live inside her. So if you want to send me a letter, you got to address it care of her vagina. Yep. There was a clip of a million ways to die in the West. So, after you got called a, a snob by the Guardian newspaper, uh, which takes yeah. some doing, yeah. um, after slating Seth MacFarlane's last cinematic effort, what do you think of this one, you snob? Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> do you know, I, I love the fact that I've got an online feud with someone who has no idea that I've got an online feud with them. I have an online feud with the Guardian's Peter Bradshaw. Yeah, and it wasn't even because... Um, I slate it. It's because The Guardian put it at number two in their top ten films of 2012, and I called that ridiculous. And he called me a snob for calling that ridiculous. Um, roll on. I'd have called it farcical. Yes. But, um, uh, now, the interesting thing is, um, before going into this film, I read some reviews from people who actually liked Ted. Um, I'm not saying, you know, they're people who, some of whom I actually respect their film views. And they said that they didn't like A Million Ways to Die in the West, which really lowered my expectations. Um, yeah, basically, latest opus from Family Guy and Ted Auteur, Seth MacFarlane. You, you learn right at the beginning of this film that he has written, directed. And uh, this time, it's not only just featuring his words and his voice, but also his incredibly smug, punchable face. Um, yeah, you see where I'm going with this review. Uh, basically, MacFarlane plays Albert, who's a useless sheep herder in 1882 Arizona. Uh, beginning of the film talks his way out of a gunfight, uh, kind of OK Corral style at noon thing, and gets dumped by his girlfriend, uh, played by Amanda Seyfried, because she thinks he's a coward. So after some basic plot points kind of turn up, um, he then resolves to win her back while being mentored by a mysterious female stranger, played by Charlize Theron, who just so happens to be married to the baddest gunslinger in the West, a guy called Clinch, which is just a weird... Nah, yeah, again, I th like a lot of this film, I think it's meant to be a joke, but I'm not sure. Um, and he's played by Liam Neeson. Now, as I've said... Wouldn't it be better if his name was Clint? Yep, I think the joke is that it's not. I, I, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Just, the, the thing is, yeah, okay, we know I didn't like Ted. Um... And with Ted, I felt that the jokes that were there were, just weren't very funny. They fell flat with me. Um, and I do remember someone pointing out on Twitter. In fact, it was, um, Jackson Tyler. Um, but I think it's, I think it has providence elsewhere that Seth MacFarlane's humour could be described as pointing out things that aren't Seth MacFarlane and then laughing at them. Um, and I can't, I couldn't get that out of my head. And so, you know, I went in there. I'll be honest with a little bit of uh, prejudice. Um, but I still tried to review a film openly and objectively. And actually, A Million Ways to Die in the West isn't much worse than Ted. So I, I don't think it's that much lower than a lot of other people seem to think it is compared to Ted. Um, except this time, instead of jokes that don't work, it mostly just doesn't have jokes. <laughs> it's really weird for comedy. It's, so maybe it's a really brave Andy Kaufman-esque um move or you know kind of a, a Stuart Lee-esque idea to try and deconstruct the comedy I don't know I don't I don't want to give it that much credit honestly large tranches of this film are played entirely straight um and there's a review um which makes this point better than I can actually uh by Callum on the website um who kind of spotted the same things that I have um but he 
he puts it better in words, which is why I don't write many reviews these days. Um, but yeah, the scenes between McFarlane and Charlize Theron, um, they're just like a kind of Adam Sandler rom-com. There's nothing edges. In fact, there aren't many jokes there. Liam Neeson is just a nasty villain without any, he's not a pantomime villain. He's not, um, yeah, a really bad, funny villain. He's just, he's not, he's not akin to his, his, Kind of character in the Lego movie, although no, it's obviously no, animated. Yeah, exactly. but no, his, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a pantomime villain. Yeah, you know, uh, and you no, you're exactly right. And I love his character in uh, Lego Movie, which which I adored. No, in this, he's just he's just really he could have come out of a any old kind of B B movie western. Um, just a really nasty person. Um, and the bits that are meant to be funny are basically uh, Seth MacFarlane playing a racist Jerry Seinfeld transported back to the Old West. That's what he's like. He, he wanders around like a, a stand-up comic that's been sent back to the Old West. Um, I, I, do you know what? I've, just, I've written down a few positives, because there are some positives. This isn't a one-star worst film of the year contender. It's, it's not that bad. Um, there is actually a decent joke bit... Uh, there's a kid playing with a stick and a hoop, you know, these old-fashioned toys, and there's a little bit where they talk about how, oh, I read that it's rotting their brains and they're losing their concentration. I quite like that, that kind of, you know, the fact that adults have always been complaining about how kids spend their time. That was quite a nice little bit. Um, Charlize Theron does really well with what she's got, as does Neil Patrick Harris, who plays the kind of the antagonist in the film who steals Albert's girlfriend away from him. He's got this... Uh, wonderful moustache and Neil Patrick Harris is always good value as is Sarah Silverman who plays a Christian whore which is a nice joke she's going out with Giovanni Ribisi and they're a lovely Christian couple who uh, won't have sex before marriage but she's having sex with 10 men because she's also a whore at the same time so again it's a nice joke uh, gets stretched across the whole film gets a, a little bit tiresome though there is I will say there is a great barbara scene which is funny it is cartoonishly violent and honestly uh, wouldn't be out of place in something like Blazing Saddles. There, there are moments, which I think makes it so infuriating, actually, because there are moments of some genuine comedy, and also it looked really good for you know it looked like a proper old-fashioned western. I think the cinematography did a fantastic job. The negatives, then, well, I've already mentioned the kind of lack of jokes uh, and the fact that most of the jokes that are out there just don't fit the tone of the film. Um, Seth MacFarlane. Does this uh, just does obnoxious stand-up routines half the time? It's just it's really really weird. Ju- judging from the trailer, he can't act. Yeah. Oh God, no, he is terrible. When he actually tries to act, that's when it gets even worse. He's just about comfortable when he does his kind of obnoxious stand-up routine bits. Okay, at least he's believable as an obnoxious stand-up. Um, but when he actually tries to act, Jesus, oh, it's horrible, horrible. Um, but then some of the jokes, I, I, I picked apart the joke, and me, a humble podcast from Britain, there's one bit where he's drunk and he gets on a horse and someone says, don't drink and horse. And I'm like, what? That doesn't, surely it's don't drink and ride, because that sounds like drive. And what, what is don't, I don't get that. Is that meant to be a joke? Yeah, it just infuriated me a little bit there. Also, his character makes no effort to fit in. He's got a modern haircut. Throughout the film, throughout the film everyone else looks really period. Um... He just looks like he's chucked on a shirt. Uh, he's turned he, up on set kind of thing. He looks a bit like in the trailer, just like he's gone to a fancy dress yeah. party as a cowboy. Exactly. Everything uh, else has got some one. really nice period detail. And everyone else's characters are at least trying to talk. He doesn't talk like anyone else in the film either. So it's, it, which again makes it really jarring when he tries to act. Now, then it gets, just when I'm starting to think, do you know, 
there was a bit about 20 minutes, half an hour in, where I was thinking, hang on, this isn't quite as bad as I thought. Oh, actually, no, the bits of this are a little bit clever. It's not brilliant, but the bits of this are a bit clever. Then he starts a bit about women with big backsides uh, with the line, if I was a black guy, dot, 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 I just, I couldn't believe it. I honestly couldn't believe that in 2014, in a big budget, you know, mainstream comedy film, someone is doing, oh yeah, black guys, they like women with big butts, don't they, hey? Fucking hell, that's terrible. It's, you know, it's, and, and again, it's really bad because it's just not even funny, but it's horribly offensive. And then, completely lacking in any self-awareness. There's uh, a moment where Neil Patrick Harris's character makes a joke in the town and everyone laughs. And Albert um, goes off on one and he's shouting, why is that funny? He's explaining why it isn't funny. And I'm in the cinema doing exactly the same thing to this film. You know, or, no, why is that funny? No, explain to me why that's funny. Um, then at one point there's this big song and dance thing, the moustache song, which clearly Seth MacFarlane wrote because Seth MacFarlane's also done a swing album. Um, which just still blows my mind. Um, and the minute, uh, and at one point his character Albert says, uh, oh, I can't get that moustache song out of my head. As if to go, wasn't that moustache song brilliant? Like, no, it wasn't. I forgot it the minute it finished Seth. Um, there's a drug trip in it because everyone lo- really loves surreal drug trips in their films, don't they? Oh god. Um, and I couldn't believe it. He actually did that family guy trope of referencing something from popular culture without actually having a joke be part of it. Uh, that kind of sub-Peter K, remember that thing you saw once style thing. And I know he did that in Ted with uh, the guy who played Flash Gordon, coming back and being Flash Gordon. Uh, at least that actually went somewhere. I know a lot of people still didn't like it. I thought it was one of the better bits of the film because it did kind of make me laugh a bit. Um, but in here, there is an, there are two appearances. Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. I'll, I'll tell you guys in the break if you want to know. Um, there are two appearances by actors playing characters from westerns and the entire joke is there's that actor playing a character from a western that, that's it there's no there's no joke around it and that really quite upset me because uh, it was just horrible and and as i said it's a really nasty film at heart for what is essentially trying to be a sweet story about self-belief and true love not only is it open with a historical photo of a real life hanging for joke purposes um but the main bad guy Liam he's a horrible psychopath um blindly killing people, threatens to rape his wife and doesn't have a single funny line or moment or any humour in any of his scenes. I, it's just really, really unpleasant. Um, do you like, out of interest, any Seth MacFarlane stuff? Uh, no. Uh, and it's not because I I, I have tried. I have tried. Um, and it, it, no, It'd just be interesting... In contrast, I don't to, hate Family Guy. I just don't get its massive popularity. No, no but like, if somebody who was a big fan of Family Guy and mm. American Dad had seen this, and we had that contrast with, and maybe it was just you weren't getting oh, no, that no, that's, kind of humour. That's true. Uh, but I have heard people who like Family Guy and really like Ted say that they were really disappointed by this because because, because Family Guy has, has taken a decline. There's mm. no doubt about that. But then. I've just watched the latest series of American Dad, and that was really good. That American Dad's the one I, I've I've not seen, and I'll be honest, I, I did think, and I think I said this on Twitter, maybe I'm not the audience for this film. Uh, maybe I'm not the audience for this film. But then afterwards, I thought, well, hang on, um, it, it's I love westerns, I love good comedies, 
I should be, if I'm not the audience for this film, why aren't I the audience for this well, film? Well, I suppose it's different type of comedy, isn't it? I know, but... Different type. It just I mean, at least, but I suppose with Ted, you knew where the jokes were, and if this one, at least with Ted, you thought it's a shit joke, I'm not going to laugh yeah. at it, but I know there's meant to be a joke there, and if this one, same, same style, same director, whatever, writer, and you can't see where the jokes are, then maybe this film... It's matter what type of comedy you like, it is just not funny. Well, yeah, maybe that. I, I just, but yeah, I was thinking it, maybe I'm not the Seth MacFarlane target audience. But then I thought, well, but I'm the uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone target audience, and they, are, yeah, they're not a million miles away from him in terms of intent and in terms of background and in terms of the fact that they like to be really offensive. The trouble is. Um, they're actually very clever and very funny and they know where their limitations are. They no longer star in their films because they know they can't act. Seth MacFarlane hasn't learnt that lesson yet. Or maybe he's just got such an ego that now he wants to be seen on the screen. He he really does seem to have a huge ego. I also hated his hosting of the Oscars as well, just to complete my... uh, (laughs) That's when I first realised that he looked like a crooner from the 1960s. I didn't. Uh, I always pictured him as looking a bit like Peter Griffin. I'll be honest. That was <laughs> so when he hosted the Oscars, I was really, really stuffed. Okay. Uh, so uh, next is then a review of The Edge of Tomorrow, seen by Owen and James. And to me, from the trailer, just looks like Groundhog Day, but in a science fiction setting. Groundhog Day meets Starship Troopers, yes. pretty much. Yes. That uh, seems fair enough. Meets possibly source code. But yeah. Um, yeah, no, um, and I'll be honest, as, uh, uh, as a Tom Cruise, a Tom Cruise sci-fi fan, I think I mentioned that before, I saw the trailer and was a bit worried that it was going to be bad. Uh, cause I really wanted it to be good and the trailer did not sell it very well. Have you seen the trailer? You have seen the trailer, haven't you, Steve? Were you quite, yeah. did it sell the film to you hugely or did you just think, mm-hmm. I just I didn't think good, I didn't think bad. I thought it's I thought it would probably be on a par with Oblivion, his last well, sci fi yeah. effort. Like I'll enjoy it, it'll it will keep my attention for a couple of hours, yeah. but I'm gonna leave the cinema and an hour later I'm not really gonna be thinking about it. Yeah. No, that's fair. I'm not it just I'm not gonna like a computer game from the mm. from the trailer as well, I thought. I thought I'm not gonna regret spending my money on it but it's not going to be the best six or seven pounds I've ever spent. Okay. Well, before we go into it, then, should we, should we listen to a clip? Okay. You all right, Cage? I think I broke something. What? My back. The only thing I can feel in my lips. Now, listen carefully. This is a very important rule. This is the only rule. You get injured on the field, you better make sure you die. Why? Last time I was in combat, I was hit. I was bleeding out, just not fast enough. I woke up in a field hospital with three pints of someone else's blood, and I was out. I lost the power. Do you understand? I think we'd better start over, don't you? What? Okay, so that was a clip then of Edge of Tomorrow. Starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Yeah, um, so Tom Cruise uh, is directed by Doug Lehman, who did The Born Identity and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, as well as Swingers. Um, uh, and it stars Tom Cruise uh, as uh, a media officer who then finds himself on the front line of a war against an alien invasion 
Um, but he gets himself caught in a time loop uh, and he keeps reliving the same day and having to learn from him, his mistakes and could he be the key to fighting off the alien invasion. It, so far, so very generic. Um, I was genuinely surprised by how much I enjoyed this film. I, I, I just want to get that right out of there now. I really enjoyed this film. I think um, Steve sort of hit the nail on the head for me, really. I, I liked it. I liked Oblivion as well. This is probably a better film than Oblivion. Um, and I would quite happily watch Edge of Tomorrow again. However, I don't think in sort of uh, end of year polls, I'm going to be placing it in my top ten. I just think it was quite a decent popcorn action sci-fi film. It didn't really have... I, I thought it might be a bit too computer gamey. You know, like almost you're going to go through the levels of fighting the different little alien creatures and then you'd go mm. on to the boss and then you would go up to the next boss the next time and then each time it would be getting bigger. Um, and I'll be honest as well, the idea of the repetition of each event over and over again didn't fill me with optimism. Mm. I thought that might get a bit tedious, which it didn't. Mm. They did really mm. well at keeping it kind of fresh each time he went back and each time he had to do something else. It wasn't too um, repetitive or, 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 or too monotone either. It was just quite a nice blend of um, some decent action, some not not massively intelligent, but it intelligent enough storyline to keep it yeah. sort of it quite, was, you it know, was keep you guessing. And as blockbusters, go, as kind of sci-fi blockbusters go, it was at the more intelligent end of the scale. You know, it was it wasn't yeah. it wasn't like a moon. It wasn't uh, you know really really clever indie sci-fi, um, but at the same time, it was certainly a lot cleverer than some of the dumb remakes we've had of uh, films like Total Recall recently, for example. Or, or even like After Earth, yeah. which was just just, just ridiculous um, and stupid and uh, uh, another waste yeah. of time After Earth was. But this wasn't. This was really quite entertaining. Yeah, I, and, and you know, I just was right off the top. I thought uh, performances were good. Uh, Cruz, and maybe we'll have a bit of a chat about Cruz in a minute. Um, Cruz not only played kind of his actiony role, but actually, I thought he got the slimy cowardly side of his character right near the beginning <laughs> yeah. as well. Very much like kind of um Jerry Maguire at the start of Jerry Maguire. He 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 plays a media officer who is trying to weasel his way out of any kind of action at all. Uh and actually takes to blackmailing his his general, uh which is why he ends up kind of uh, on the front line. Um so that's great. Uh Emily Blunt actually really convincing uh as uh, mm. I, I was quite surprised because I've not seen her in a role like this at all before. Um, and now I'm hearing that she's been sounded out around about Justice League films for I don't know which particular role, um, but she seems to have impressed enough people there. And brilliantly, Bill Paxton um, in a great kind of drill sergeant uh, role, a fantastic Southern States drill sergeant role as well. Um, and he's one of the reasons actually the film's really funny, uh, and, and that was what surprised me. And it's I can't remember outside of the Marvel universe. The last time we had a genuinely quite witty and funny blockbuster film, you know, it seems to me, especially in the last few years, the, the big summer blockbuster films have been, apart from the apart from the comedy blockbusters, but they've been they've been quite dry. They've been quite serious. You know, films like uh, Elysium, uh, films like uh, 
uh, well, Total Recall, uh, the Robocop remake, um, a number of other films that I can't even, you know, even Inception, which I really liked, but there's not much humour there. Um, there. There's just not a lot of laughs in in big action blockbusters these days. It's not like there was in the 90s when you had films like The Rock and Face Off, which were ridiculous, but they remembered to put some jokes in there and that kind of thing. And this film, yeah. I thought, had some genuinely really funny bits. Some of it around the plot, some of it around characterisation. Um, and in fact, a lot of it did just remind me of those, those mid-90s action films that I, I think if this had come out in the mid-90s, it would have been one of the biggest films of the year. I just, and it's weird thinking that a Tom Cruise film these days is a bit of an underdog, but this one has been a bit of an underdog in terms <laughs> of uh, box office, but it seems to have done pretty well. Yeah, not not amazingly it's, well, but uh, well, and I, 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 I'm like I said, I really, really, I think I enjoyed it more than you did, Owen. Um, and I don't know if that's partly because of my cruise obsession. Like, oh, part, <laughs> I, I also think Doug Liman's actually a really interesting director as well. It was less than two hours. It did have a bit of a saggy middle section. I'll be honest, as it's you know most action films seem to these days. It, it could have and should have been a sub one hundred minute film, probably. Um, bit of an unsatisfactory ending for me a little bit of a uh, the ending didn't quite live up to the promise of the rest of the film that said I'd, I'd actually be will i'm willing to bet that this i preferred this to um i've preferred this to any of the other big blockbusters preferred it to godzilla um yeah really honestly i i i, I had more fun godzilla another one without any kind of humor <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying all films have to have but i'm in a way, I think I enjoyed this film more because it just more because it it's something I've not seen for a few years. Um, in terms of this kind of scale of filmmaking, but also feeling quite intimate as well. Uh, I, I honestly think this could be my favourite non-Marvel um, big budget film of the summer. I, 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 it set a bar really high for me. I really, really enjoyed it. It was a good, solid. I know we don't do scores, but a really good, solid eight out of ten for me. Um, I would probably rank it just a bit below Winter Soldier. I mean, I enjoyed both of them. Mm. Um, much better than Amazing Spider-Man okay, yeah. too. Anyway, and, and yeah. Um, yeah, Winter Soldier is an interesting one because I, again, I feel like. These days, I feel like I have to judge the Marvel films almost separately, simply because they're almost like a soap opera. They've got characters that I know, and it's the the continuing part of the story. I, I I really like this. In terms of films that have to set up a character and a universe and a storyline in less than two hours, I think this did a brilliant job. Um, and yeah, I, I'm, I really, really want people to go out and watch this, because I think people will really enjoy it. And e even if you only enjoy it as much as Owen enjoyed it, and Owen did enjoy it, he said so, yeah. yeah, even if it's even if it's not as much as I enjoyed it, but it's more how you enjoyed it. Do you know what? Still a good, fun, popcorny action film, which you're certainly not going to regret going to see. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting as well. You kind of made the uh, uh, comparison to nineties yeah. <laughs> sort of sci-fi action films and how big it would have been in the nineties. I think what is lacking from Edge of Tomorrow um, for me was the kind of edge that some of mm. those films had. You know, we we I keep bringing it up and keep comparing it to it because it's quite similar, but compared to Starship yeah. Troopers, which has a bit of satire in it, um, it's quite an important message about sort of uh, gender mm -hmm. equality as well. 
there, there isn't really any of that in um, Edge of Tomorrow. No, although I, I it do just think seems a bit like a, a very a, straightforward, a special case. Yeah, he, you know, I, I'd compare it to a film like The Rock uh, or Con Air or something like that, and. and you know, those films I grew up with, and so I've got, you know, they've got a very, very special place in my heart. But actually, I think, objectively speaking, this film isn't far off that level of film. I honestly, I honestly think that. Um, yeah. I'd probably put it the same as The Rock and Conair, perhaps. A oh, bit that that, that, that suits me absolutely fine. I'm happy yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> but it is really interesting. Yeah, you know, I was talking to, um, uh, Tom Linnae, uh, D- at DCM, Tom Linnae, I think, yeah, I had to feel bad now. But I was chatting to him about, uh, Tom Cruise, because obviously I reposted my blog from last year, uh, around the time of Oblivion, uh, about why actually Tom Cruise is our last great movie star, uh, and we need to treat him better. And I genuinely think, I, and again, this is, Tom Cruise gets these type of films made, and regardless of what people think of it some people have thought it, it's alright some people have really really enjoyed it and there have been some really positive reviews of this film what I do think is is great about what Tom Cruise is doing at the moment is it, even Oblivion last year he's he's helping get completely new non-franchise non-sequel original in the sense that we've not seen them on screen before sci-fi blockbusters made and not many other people are doing that and I, I think he deserves some credit for that yeah, well, you know, although he did make Jack Reacher, which I know is not quite the same, but it's still kind of adapting a popular book although, series. Although, again, we've um, not seen it on screen before, at least. It, well, it wasn't a yeah, sequel. Yeah, that's true. It, yeah, and this was based on a, a Japanese manga, wasn't it, originally, Edge of Tomorrow? All You Need Is Kill, I think it was. Got, yeah, it's got, yeah. It's, it's got a literary source, but... Um, and uh, Oblivion was a yeah. comic as well, I think. But I don't, there was some ambiguity about whether the comic came before the concept yes. for the film it's not as traditional as uh, this one for example but um, yeah yeah, and, and I, I'd still I keep I said it in my blog and I keep saying that the man just he earns every dollar for the films that he makes uh, as a, in my book he still does his stunts um, which I think is fantastic for a man 51 years old he, he's he's ultimate he's really really professional there was a fantastic um profile of him in Hollywood Weekly earlier this week that I read just you know interviews with him from the start of his career going onwards and how he uh, he never wanted to be seen as being part of the Rat Pack uh, he got offered Top Gun uh, 2 immediately after Top Gun was made and they offered to quintuple his salary and he said no and he went and made The Colour of Money instead because he wanted to work with Paul Newman and he always wanted to be remembered uh, as a great like Paul Newman and you know regardless of whatever people think of his personal life I, I, I think he I think we're going to miss him when he's gone I really really do yeah there was an interesting conversation that came up as well though um, which was mm. on the Football 365 forum which was about how um, some people think he's too old to be playing these sort of roles now and I'm going to sort of put uh, well it's not film is it what is this put, put on audio put on digital yeah. record um, I disagree I think he's still quite convincing playing yeah. these roles um, he's, you know, you see him in Edge of Tomorrow, and it's it's natural to see him do that that sort of thing. He's really talented yeah. at it. Um, he he seems to be um, born to play these sort of roles, and it's quite refreshing to see someone who 
you know, he's not making um, Oscar bait in films. He doesn't really go for those. Um, he hasn't really done mm. that throughout his career, I guess. Uh, but also, he's he's playing these roles that aren't sort of straight to video action no. films. Perhaps that might just be because he's Tom Cruise, and wherever he goes, people throw money at him. But you know, he's you look at people like Jason Statham, yeah. for example. They're completely different, but both have made a career now out of playing action yeah. heroes. And There's, it's not a small. It's not a surprise to see that Tom Cruise is considerably more successful. No, at no, him. and. I think there were a number the of thing, reasons. He doesn't look. I'm sorry, he doesn't look 51. <laughs> if I look like that at 51, no. I, yeah, you, know, you know, you look. He's older than uh, Nigel Farage from UKIP, and they, there you go. <laughs> uh, wow. Um, the fact he doesn't look 50, and, and Hollywood has always had uh, blokes have always had a longer career in Hollywood, and always been able to kind of play the action hero for long. How old was um, Harrison Ford doing uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, for for example? You know, and. Mm. Uh, and again, yeah, they've always had been teamed up with younger co-stars just because that's what people like to see on screen. I think it's difficult to to blame Tom Cruise for that. Uh, and I do think he... Although he does get off with a lot of women a lot younger what, than in him. films? Oh, yeah. yeah. As does George Clooney, though. As does Brad Pitt. As... Yeah. yeah. I, I, all I would yeah. argue, I'd, I'd say he's part of the Hollywood system rather than being the cause of it. Uh, you know, look at... Look at Hitchcock's films, for example, how old were some of the leads there, and how young and pretty were some of their their female leads? Yeah, you know, uh, James Stewart and Grace yeah. Kelly, for example, that is a huge age difference going on there. Um, and James yeah. Stewart looked his age as a good-looking man, but he yeah. looked his age. Um, so again, I don't think I don't think it's either a modern. I don't think it's a modern phenomenon, and I certainly don't think it's it's. Tom Cruise going right. Well, you've got to make me look like this. I, I, I think the producers are probably the bigger driver of that. I know Tom Cruise is a producer, but the studios will be saying, "Well, Tom Cruise needs to be with a pr- pretty young woman because that's that's what action films are." Right? Yeah, um, and yeah, I, I, I'm just yeah, I'm just really, really pleased anyway that he's he's still making films and uh, and we need to cut him some slack because he's he's a great movie star. He really is, and he's one of the last ones we've got. Okay, that's all for um, Edge of Tomorrow then. And just before the podcast comes to an end, uh, we have our recommendations for the next week or so. Uh, I am going to start us off with these. I'm going for a bad film this time. Oof. Just to be a bit different. Um, there's a reason for this though. And you're probably going to record this because there's no way in hell you should be staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning for the end of this. Uh, it's on uh, Monday morning, starts at 1 o'clock. It is Captain America on Viva. Now, people think, well, Captain America's a good <gasps> film. No, this is the 1990 version. <laughs> wow. So, put your put your Sky Plus boxes, other means of recording television are available. Put it on to, to record Viva, whatever the bloody hell that channel is. It's a is. music channel, isn't it? <laughs> I don't know. Bizarre. At 1 o'clock, at 1am on Monday to record the 1990 version of Captain America and just com- watch it to compare how bad it is compared with Marvel's most recent efforts. Wow. I, I, I've actually watched a few films on Fever because they put Missing in Action on, you know, the Chuck Norris oh, yeah. film? And I'd never seen it. Um, yeah, they seem to show some very strange films on, on what is essentially a music channel. 
Um, but yes, but get get that one watched. I want at least one of you to have watched that before next I, week. I don't have access to, to Viva. I've just got Freeview these days. Just yeah, me just then. Viva is on Freeview, James. It's not on Freeview. It no is. No chance. I'm sure it is. I also, <laughs> I've got nothing to record it on, so I'll have to actually start at 3 o'clock in the morning if I do find it then. Well, there you go. Uh, so, James, what are you recommending? Uh, I'm going for a, a new addition to Netflix, um, and it's one of the first films that we reviewed, or we, I think I reviewed on here. Um, Jeff, who lives at home, has just been added to Netflix UK, and if you've not seen it, a really nice little indie film directed by the Duplass brothers, um, starring Jason Segel uh, and Ed Helms and Judy Greer and Susan Sarandon. Uh, re- I really, really enjoyed it. Um, but also... Uh, my wife hated it, so who knows? <laughs> so don't choose it for a date film. But no, it, it's it's kind of classic mumblecore indie, uh, learning a bit about yourself. But I thought it had a lot of heart, and I do remember our sadly missed uh, Jerry McCauley also really enjoyed that film. So uh, yeah, get it watched. And Owen? Well, I can't believe James has just stolen the Netflix recommendation from really? my news. Oh, I was about to pick yeah. <laughs> I wasn't gonna pick that particular film. Um I was gonna go for uh Pulp Fiction, which has oh, just has been it? added oh. to Netflix UK. Uh which is by far my favourite um Quentin Tarantino film and one of my favourite films of all time. Um just utterly brilliant. But I've just had a quick look to see what else is on TV. And uh, To Catch a Thief, the Hitchcock film, uh, is on 11am on Film 4 on Friday. So you can take a pick. If you want to watch something that's on TV on Friday, then To Catch a Thief is is quite an interesting, um, fun film. Uh, And also Pulp Fiction, brilliant film on Netflix UK. Okay. Um, So yes, that brings to an end this week's Fail Critics podcast. Next week will be new release reviews of 22 Jump Street and... Potentially, uh, Grace of potentially Grace of Monaco. If anyone can be bothered to watch that, I, I also think I also think the Postman Pat movie's out. It's right? been out a little while on. now. Yeah, Has it's it? been out a little while. Um, I've, I've completely missed yeah, that. No, no, Grace of Monaco is apparently worse than Diana, which I, I'm I'm genuinely tempted by. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm just genuinely, genuinely tempted by. Um, so yeah. Let, let's see but we'll definitely be reviewing 22 Jump Street and just to say I've not seen it but I'm hearing very good things from people that are saying it hasn't disappointed them which I bodes very very well ok um, so yes like I said that's all for this week's podcast we'll be back next week so thanks to everyone who's listened and everyone who's contributed in any way and uh, we'll be back in 7 days time The failed critics are James Diamond, Steve Norman and Owen Hughes with original music provided by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com You can find us at failedcritics.com at Facebook at facebook.com slash failedcritics and on Twitter at at failedcritics 